Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And that's why you're probably hearing, like I am, the, um, the purrs of lawnmowers over the last week or so. I mean, clearly not in the rain, but dry periods. The lawnmowers have been out in the mail this morning. has a, a story from horticulturists who are telling people, don't be cutting your grass, leave it alone. The bees need it. And instead of cutting your grass, you'll be planting more pollen flowers um, in order to help the bees who are coming out of hibernation early. Everything's coming out early, actually. They're also mentioning something that's absolutely true, and that is daffodils are blooming. We have them in full bloom in the garden now. So you're not blooming mad. It's just that spring has truly come earlier. And you notice that with the milder weather these days. Experts also urging, uh, look after nature and leave the grass alone. I know it looks great when it's cut, particularly the first or second cut of the new year. But they're saying is not great for the environment. Um, listen, there's some awfully tragic stories making the papers today. That one from uh, West Sligo is yet another attack on the elderly. Now, by all accounts, the man who was attacked, Tom Nyland, the 73-year-old, I was listening to this morning, he's a fit and able man and well able to defend himself, they say. Ah, but sure, that would need to be a one-on-one. When you have more than one person attacking you, of course, your chances of uh, being able to fight back are very much diminished. And when uh, three um, balaclava-wearing men burst into your isolated home in County Sligo uh, and take you by surprise, it's hard to put up a defence. So he is critical now. And to be honest with you, it's not looking good, but he's a fighter. So hopefully he will survive. They beat him to a pulp and stole a few hundred euro. He's on life support now, Tom. Uh, He was left with a smashed eye socket, broken ribs, managed to crawl from his home after they fled and he flagged down a passing motorist by all accounts, but he's on a life support fighting for his life now after the latest attack. Um, it's, it's absolutely tragic that have, so many of these have been happening on quite a regular basis. Um, in fact, there's another type of story that's related to people who are, um, you know, in, in this case, it's con artists. They're called cat burglars, literally cat burglars almost, if you like. It's the front page in the Echo today where here's the modus operandi. Two people call to somebody's home, usually the elderly. One is a man, he stays in the car. The other is a woman who goes up to the door and she says, when the door is answered, words to the effect of telling the homeowner that a cat has jumped over the wall and made their way into the the person's garden. It's always the female who calls to the door, according to the guardie. Then your man outside is watching in a vehicle, waiting till the homeowner is distracted so he can get into the house and see what he can get. So there's a, a double act going on here, and they use a kitten or a cat as a, as a kind of a ruse or a story, as a ploy to get into the home itself. That's a front page on the Echo today. Um, Gary O'Brien, who for many years was homeless, is a, a very uplifting story in the Echo today. He now works in the cafe in whose doorway he slept for a long period of time. Homeless in Cork for 15 years, and he slept in every doorway. Uh, tents and hospitals and hostels, I should say, and doorways. Uh, I hope that he's uh, in flying form now because his life had taken a turn for the better now. He is now working in the Haven Cafe in Cork City as part of the Community Employment Scheme, uh, hoping to turn his life around. And I'm quite sure where there's a will, there's a way. That's a lovely story in the in the Echo today. And we hear also of the continuing good work of Katrina Toomey and Cork Penny Dinners. Again, this is an Echo story where apparently uh, Cork Penny Dinners now are providing little girls with communion dresses because of the struggles that families have to go through day in, day out. I mean, the cost for some of a communion dress is just out of their reach. So yet again, 
Penny Tinners comes to the fore and tries to sort out that problem like many other problems. Uh, they're saying that at least they can take, uh, Katrina says, at least we can take that worry away from children and that worry away uh, from parents. The things that many people who are lucky enough just take for granted. And if you think things are expensive now, apparently they're due to get a hell of a lot dearer. Not going to bore you with the intricacies of uh, inflation, but they're saying that we could be going back to the days of the rip-off republic. It's a front page of making the mail today. Soaring costs. Uh, and apparently soaring costs for something that we also noticed during the Celtic Tiger era. Um, and the papers also talk today about the different things and prices that have gone. I'm not just talking about petrol or diesel or home heating oil. It's everywhere now at this stage. A lot of sport over the weekend. Um, and it's an interesting story uh, that makes the red tops today where the newly elected chairman of the League of Ireland is appealing to Irish football fans. Would you please ditch English and soccer clubs and stop supporting them and support your own instead. As in, get out there and support your own local teams rather than just saying, you follow Man United or Liverpool or Man City or Arsenal or Chelsea or whatever the case may be. And a story um, that's been dominating much of the UK news over the past few days um, is the story of Jimmy Carr, the comedian. Now, he's pushed back saying if he can't make jokes about anything that he finds funny, then comedy is dead. But he's been criticised um, and possibly will be the subject of a cancel order, you know, with the cancel culture that we're living in, because he made some awfully outrageous jokes about the Holocaust on stage and the horror of the Holocaust. Uh, in fact, the Times UK this morning actually um, print the joke, which I'm not going to read, but anybody with any kind of bit of sense at all will realize that he made a joke about the Holocaust and the six million who perished during the Holocaust in concentration camps and then made a disparaging remark about the murder of gypsies. So I'll leave that up to your own imagination as to what he was trying to say. Um, I know that it's got much more difficult for comedians these days, but there should be areas that are absolutely no-go areas for jokes. That they're just not funny, and it never, ever will be funny. Uh, on a light-hearted note, there's some consumer stories that may interest you. Fairy liquid have turned the bottle upside down. Apparently, it was squeezed from the bottom instead of the top. Why they felt they had to do this, I do not know. It's more like a shampoo bottle now, I suppose. After 62 years, the iconic bottle now turns upside down. But I love a story that I ferreted out over the weekend. Actually, I only saw it because it came as a press release, or as, as opposed to uh, a story that made the newspapers. And it's the fact that Angel Delight is back again. Um, but the Angel Delight that's back again is already made for you and it comes in pre-made tubs. A bit like the small little ice cream tubs. So Angel Delight is back. Who remembers Angel Delight? Uh, I mean, it, it, like, when, when did it disappear? It certainly was very dominant back in the 60s and 70s and perhaps even in the 80s. But it's making a return now in two flavours. Strawberry, which would be quite nice. Butterscotch, which in my opinion would be yuck. But it got me thinking of other desserts from back in the day. If Angel Delight is back, anybody remember Instant Whip, which was probably a cousin or a brother or a sister of Angel Delight. Very, very popular back in the day. Um, and of course, we all had rice and we all had tapioca and we all had semolina. I don't think anybody has those things anymore. And then, of course, there was a good old traditional favourite, which was just jelly and ice cream. We used to get a thing that came in a tin. Um, it was a little sponge in a tin. We called it ting in the tin. There was like seven of us, six or seven of us, and it fed a lot of us, but it was tiny. 
just a little bit bigger than a snuff box. Um, and also in the papers today, um, we mark the end of this. By all accounts, it is to be no more. Hang on a second, there's a problem with... Hang on a second, let me see if I can sort this out. It must be on a different line. Neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. Just a friendly wave each morning. Helps to make a better day. It might come as a horror to you to know that neighbors is going to be axed. So it's goodbye to good neighbors. I'll have a little more on that later on because our go-to guy on neighbors is Mark Willington. They ain't nothing he doesn't know about it and the history of neighbors over the past 40 years. So it launched the careers of Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan and more besides and also uh, made the mullet haircut very popular when it came to um, Jason himself. But apparently they're going to ax it. So all of the red tops today are talking about the most memorable neighbors moments down through the years i have no idea why mark will tell us why i have no idea why because i'm assuming that it's just as popular as it ever was the neil prenderville show all right you can text 0868104106 pick up the phone on our brand new phone number 0818104106 lots to do this morning but can i just recap to events uh, of last year because uh, it's important to update and in september of last year i spoke to cork mother leona birmingham who very bravely came into the studio here back in September um, to tell us the story of her little son, Lee. Um, and she started a fight back then um, and uh, wanted questions answered by Cork University Maternity Hospital, searching for answers at the time as to why her deceased son, Lee's brain, was incinerated in Antwerp in Belgium without her consent. It turned out there were 18 other families just like her. And herself and her partner, Glenn Callanan, um, were left heartbroken, clearly. Um, and there, there's very little update with regards to all sorts of promises being made at the time by CUH, CUMH and the HSE. But just ahead of my chat with Leona, this is just a recap of our conversation back in September. Now, we have issues this morning, and I'm very sorry for it, but I'm assuming that I'll be able to work it out. So this is back to September. He was with us um, for about five hours. Um, Yeah, and it was a lovely five hours. It was emotional, but it was so nice. Um, And we told him exactly how proud we were, how much we loved him, um, how much he's going... I promised him that we'd mention his name every day for the rest of our lives. I know it's probably easy now, but in 30 years' time and... I've made a promise that we will speak about him at least once a day. Yeah. Um, and so far we have kept that promise. And he went to sleep yeah, in he your did. arms? Yeah, he went to sleep in my arms at five past one. So it was actually, uh, gone 12 o'clock was my birthday. So um, I turned 28 um, and he went to sleep in my arms and Glenn and Lewis were right by our sides. Um, it was it was very hard um, because we were first time parents as well. Um, so I suppose we didn't know how to handle our emotions because we were so happy but yet the heartbreak just it was just it was heartbreaking for us also you see I wanted to I wanted to chat with you about that Mm -hmm. part of your life because we we didn't hear enough of that part of of Lee's life you know this this fight in the womb the birth the surviving Mm -hmm. the living with you being part of your family he always will be the heartbeat, him being part of the family, albeit for maybe four or five hours. Yeah, and, but we got to hold on to him. Um, we got to keep him next to us in a cold cot. 
um, in we went to Floor Force out in CUMH and they were absolutely brilliant with us. The nurses, the catering staff, the cleaning staff, everyone was so, so nice. All our family got to come up and meet Lee. Um, it was Fela Colin that provided the cold cot, so we got five lovely days with him um, and just just to leave our family see how beautiful and perfect yeah, he was meant so much to us I know I know you got a phone call then in May in May yeah May 2020 to be honest I just thought it was a call checking in we got his post-mortem results the month previous over the phone so I just thought it was like a follow-up call and then they gave me the devastating news that Lee's organs they didn't say which organs have been incinerated they never told me it was incinerated abroad or and at the time, I remember apologising to the uh, bereavement midwife I was on the phone to. I said, look, you're just a middleman. Um, I don't blame you. I don't take it out on you. And But I did say, this is a bit of a blurt me. Can you send me a detailed letter so I can explain to Glenn? And I know in years to come, Lewis will have so many questions about his twin brother. And I would like to be able to tell him everything. And I suppose getting that phone call, we were in lockdown level five. Um, it was our first lockdown um, we had no support, like we were cut off from our nearest and dearest. Um, I would have done anything just for a hug off my mum or my dad and for them to tell me everything would be okay. But we're talking to them through a window. Um, so I contacted the hospital again in June asking them, look, can we meet? I have a lot of questions. Um, and they asked us to send a list of questions by email. But Really? When, yeah, it was when we put pen to paper that we just... First of all, our first question was, what organs? And that one really hurt me because I thought, like, how do I not know what organs they took on my baby? And um, at what stage then? Because un- unbeknownst to you, there were 17 other families yeah, so it wasn't who were also until, in the dark. Yeah, it wasn't till very recently. So we put our first complaint in in October. We complained um, and we didn't get... It wasn't until we put an official complaint in that we got the opportunity to meet with them in the 9th of November. Um, and was it in November you were told that it was Lee's brain? Yeah, so it was that very meeting that when we went, they said uh, it was his brain. How did you feel about that? incinerated in Antwerp in Belgium and it was devastating. It was devastating. I, didn't be- I couldn't believe that. For one, it was incinerated and for two, that it wasn't even in the country. A lot of those within the COH, the COMH and the HSC are also finding it very hard to accept it. It was a flurry of emails back and yeah. forth that eventually... Blew this wide yeah, it open. Wasn't if you like. Recently, we saw them emails. The email said the HSC were worried about the adverse publicity, and when mm-hmm. I heard that, I was thinking the adverse publicity. But what about the anguish of the parents? Are you not yeah, worried about that, that? Yeah, that's it. And even for the weeks after we got the phone call, I asked them to send a detailed letter, and they sent me a letter saying we apologise for any anxiety you're feeling. And I thought, how dare they apologise for how I feel and not for what they have done. Okay, that was Leona chatting with me back in uh, September. She joins me by phone, live on air. Morning to you, Leona. Hiya, good morning. Listen, before uh, before I start, can I just ask you, how is uh, Lee's twin, Lewis, doing? How's he getting on? Well, Lewis is slaying. He's, um, he's two now and he's the boss. <laughs> he bosses all the family around and yeah, he's just, he keeps us going. Oh, he's sir. funny and he's the 
late in our life now at the moment. Fair play, fair play. Now, I hope you didn't find that little bit of audio upsetting revisiting uh, last September. I just wanted to update because, of course, um, not just Lee, but 17 other little mm-hmm. babies also had uh, organs incinerated in Antwerp at the time. Do you remember we were chatting with, uh, with you, uh, when I was chatting with you, uh, up until then, and for a long, long time, there was a little bur- burial pot up in Corricapon, wasn't there? Um, yep. And they were saying that that was full, and that's why the organs then were stored for a period at the CUMH, or in, was it like in, in, in pathology there for a period of time? Wasn't that the backstory? Yeah, so the organs, I think they found out in January 2020 that the gravesite was full right. um, and they tried to get other burials um, places and um, they just said it wasn't possible and they decided to incinerate them abroad. Yeah, yeah. Um, has anything happened since then with regards to, uh, a, 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 I'm not going to say it was an investigation, but they said they were going to conduct a, a review, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so we did, myself and Glenn um, met with the review team in November um, 21 um, and we asked them a lot of questions. Um, we put, I suppose we got to voice our side of it and the review team, did they listened? We spoke to them and we stressed how the communication has been the biggest effect on our mental health. Um, I suppose just not knowing what's going on, um, emailing and and just our mind was always wondering, so we stressed the importance of communication going forward. And we thought they listened. We came away from the meeting thinking, hopefully, this is this is the road we want to be on that will give us the answers that yeah. we we need. Yeah. And so that was in November, and they were to get in contact with us in December. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't hear anything. So we're into the new year, and I decided to email them for an update. Um, and they just apologised for not being in contact with us and they said they'll have a better idea within the next two to four weeks regarding a tentative day of completion. Okay, now let me, let me just uh, drill into that a little bit if you don't mind because you, yep. you met, asked questions. There were 17 other families. Did, were any of them met? Did they get an yep. opportunity to voice uh, yep. questions? Yeah, so we all got an opportunity to um, meet with the review team and to voice our concerns, I suppose. So as far as I'm aware, I think they met nearly all they met all the families that I've been in contact with now so okay okay and can you tell us a little bit about the questions that you wanted answering yeah so our questions are very very basic like um like who who signed this off like who was what was there what was the discussion before were we not thought of um could they not pick up the phone and ask us what our wishes were did we want his organs back um and a lot of questions are around communication um so i suppose when it did hit the media um we were told that the review commenced in april 2020 um but we we were not we were never told that um the last email I have was from August 2020 to say that the review team had been put together and right. they were about to proceed. Um, okay, and do you know what the questions that you asked about, say for instance, who signed off on it? Why weren't you contacted to ask if you wanted uh, your little baby's organs back? Did they answer any of those questions at this meeting? No, we got no answers. Um, so the only answer we did get was our reply we got was that we have to wait until the report is complete for them to be able to answer anything. So anything nothing was shared across the table in any way, shape or form? Nope, nope, not this, at all. And this review, this isn't independent of the hospital or the HSE, it's reviewed by the CUH, isn't it? 
themselves. Yeah, it's a re- okay. yeah, so it's a review by the CUH. There's three people on the review team. Do you, um, do you, do you think that it should be independent or should have been independent? Um, yeah, I, I think there should be another independent, I mean, uh, review. I mean, Ms. Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly um, said that he would launch an official investigation into the facts uncovered in the report. So I'm hoping that once the report is done, that um, Minister for Health can carry out another report. And I mean, the findings need to be even examined as it is. It I, I just, yeah, I just would have thought that an independent review would have been the more transparent way to go about this. That somebody yeah, would uh, investigate yeah, it from the outside who was completely impartial. Yeah, of course. It's, it's just, I, I'm not in kind of phases of Sandy Moore at this stage. Um, I really thought that once the review, and it was so long putting the review team together that I thought, okay, now we're going forward, we're in the right direction and there's going to be no more communication errors. Or, um, but I just feel like the two to four week completion date is, we still have, that's not even a date for a draft report. So we're talking two to four more weeks just for a date for the draft report to be completed. Yeah. Did, 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 you manage, did you manage to tell them when you met them of the circumstances of how you, I remember you telling me in September, how you were informed um, in, in, a, in a very kind of matter-of-fact way on the phone, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and we spoke, we spoke greatly about that. We, we even stressed that this, the 18 families got the same phone call and out of 18 families, no one took away what, what was actually the message. Like, we questioned ourselves. Um, I questioned... Well, what do they mean by this? Like, that's did I did I sign error. something that gave permission for this? Remember, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's a communication error from. So from the very very first day, there has been communication issues that none of the Aiden families took away that our child's organs were incinerated abroad with that's clinical very, very waste. Basic. Yeah, that's that's basic information that should have been told to us on day one, and that they they didn't provide to us. And there was also back and forth at the time, I remember, with regards to paperwork, wasn't there? And who signed what and when and what was added in and what was crossed off. Will all that be investigated as well? Yeah, so that's what we're asking. And they they couldn't give us an answer. And because I know, obviously, our case would be different to everyone else's. um, And we did receive a letter from a doctor to say that he ticked this box or that box. That's right, um, yeah. And we asked them that they said, oh, yeah, well, well, we'll put the report together and you can come back and give us recommendations after the first draft report. So we didn't get a 100% guaranteed answer that it will be included. Yeah. And, and all of the families like yourself and Glenn um, met this review uh, team independently, was it? You all didn't get an opportunity to be together, no? No, we, we did ask. We, we put together, like, oh, could a group of us yes. come in a group setting? And they said, not over um, the virus. Right. So okay. they yeah, so meet with us individually. Okay. Um, so it's kind of just a waiting game continues then. Um, and then you'll get just a printed report, is it? Yeah, we'll just get our printed um, draft report and then we'll be able to put our recommendations. So, like, we're talking probably months down the line. When this first came out in the media, they said that the report would be finalised in early October, late Nova- late October, early November. Um, and, like, we're talking two to four weeks waiting for just a date of completion. Okay, okay. Um, um, what do you hope then will be achieved by this after this report comes out, uh, you know, uh, uh, assuming that it will be fair, honest, 
and proactive. What do you hope? We need to make the changes that is, I mean, 15 years ago, something similar to this happened again. We can't, we can't wait another 15 years for something else to happen. Like this needs to be the changes. Um, like um, Micheál Martin came out and said it was cruel and unacceptable. Um, like I, I need, I need some law in place to say that this, this will never happen again. It's, it's, it is unacceptable. It is cruel. I mean, for us trying to get through every day, just knowing that there's this report is going to come out, we're going to have to relive exactly what happened. It's not fair on us. Um, we just want to be able to grieve fully in peace and try to rebuild our lives. Um, we met with the hospital in November 2020 and we are still awaiting minutes of the meeting since then. Uh, so it's, not I, very, it's not very respectful, is it? It's not. I mean, we went through through we went through two Christmases waiting for paperwork and waiting to hear back from the hospital, and it's it's just unimaginable, really. That uh, unimaginable is right because I recall yeah. it at the time. Where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a case that um, there was space needed to be freed up in the morgue. There was mm-hmm. too much of whatever is in the morgue, and so they needed to free up space in the morgue. Uh, they also said, if I remember correctly, that it was in, in anticipation of lots of deaths that could be resulting after COVID hit, that they needed more space. So off the organs went for incineration in Antwerp. Isn't that, doesn't that pretty much sum it up? And we're speaking about alien little babies' organs that wouldn't even, alien little organs wouldn't even free up enough space for one, one body. Like, it's not as if they were taking up a lot of space. I mean, it's we're, a we're big hospital. Tiny. It's a big hospital. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking about tiny little baby organs, like how much space did they think they were going to create? And Leona, what's happening, organs. what has been happening with organs of little babies who were born and, and passed away mm-hmm. since Lee? Um, what's the policy now? We did, we did ask that, um, I suppose, because every time we heard that a little baby's been going for post-mortem or it was just my, my biggest fear um, and they just said that they do have a plot um, now but didn't go into greater detail that was at the uh, How does that make you feel they say they now have a plot again but said it was full back in nineteen. I couldn't imagine anyone I, I wouldn't wish this on anybody at all so just to know that other families have a bit of peace of mind and I suppose it means much. I'm afraid that if I didn't speak out, that this, this would happen again. Or just so, just to know that they do have a spot reserved um, just brings us a bit of comfort. Now I am angry that this happened to us, um, and of course the other 17 families. Um, but I'm just hoping that going forward, this will never happen again. So it wasn't just for Lee and for your family, or indeed the other 17. It was for all families who would go through a tragedy like yours in the weeks, months, days and years to come? Yeah, like, I mean, I can relate to anyone. Um, like, even just when you hear of a little baby, um, I suppose it brings back so much memories and um, what happened with us. And I, I, can, I know how they feel. And I know how I felt when I got that phone call to say Lee's brain was incinerated. I don't want to put that extra stress on any, on any grieving family. So are we talking about a number of weeks then, do you think? Well, uh, 
from the last email we got, it says within two to four weeks, they will have a tentative date of completion. Oh, no, that's not a completion date. That's just a date Mm -hmm. to tell you the completion date. Yeah, yeah. So we could be talking months down the line, really. Okay, okay. You haven't given up? No, and I believe me, I will not give up either. (laughs) I will not give up. We need the answers. We we deserve these answers. That's the very least. We deserve answers and find out what happened, Lee's brain, and how did, how this happened really. And we need to make sure it will never happen again. Yes, I think you've, I, I think you've made sure. I think you've made sure of that already, Leona. I think you already <laughs> have achieved that part. In fairness, to you. questions need to be answered, but that will never happen to another family again because of you and what you did at the time. And you should be commended that, for that's that. That's what I'm hoping, yes. and, I, and I'm hoping that Lewis turns around and says, "Yeah." Mam and Dad, you did. You, you done did. everything that you could. You will. And um, I just want to do my both my boys proud. Yeah, and you have done. You're one heck Thank of a girl. You. Listen, do stay in touch. All right. If there's any I updates at all, I'd be very keen to talk to you again. All right. Thanks very much for speaking to me this morning. Okay, Leona. Regards to you and to Lewis and to all of the family and to Glenn as well. Okay, mind yourself. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. One hundred four to one hundred six Red FM. Meanwhile, a lovely email came in actually, just thanking staff at the uh, CUH. Just wanted to thank all of the staff in the Seahorse Children's Ward, the surgeons in plastics and all in Theatre 9 in the CUH who looked after my little boy so well on Thursday. They're amazing and so, so good at what they do. We're very lucky to have these people working in our hospital. Please don't give out all of our details, but pass on our best wishes and thank you. So job done then. On Friday, uh, well, actually on Thursday and Friday, because on Thursday I was chatting with Finbar O'Connor from O'Connor's Funeral Home saying a lot of the old traditions and patience you know, particularly with regards to motorists for funerals, is becoming a thing of the, ba- of the past. And then, of course, it led on to some conversations where people were being refused the opportunity to say a few words at the funeral mass in, the, in some churches to a loved one. The eulogy. Um, and one priest actually said to a family that it wasn't part of the gospel, gospel and wasn't part of the mass proper, so it wouldn't be allowed. A lot of texts on that, certainly with regards to funerals. I remember going to weddings when I was young. All the aunts would tell me, you're next. I love doing it to them now at funerals, says Frank. <laughs> for using the opportunity to get your own back. But on a serious note, um, unfortunately, my beloved dad passed away in April 2021. We were in a level five lockdown and his own sisters weren't able to come to the funeral. My neighbours did a socially distanced guard of honour along the road as the hearse passed. We were blown away by this beautiful send off from my dad. They will never know how much it meant to myself, my mum, my brothers and all the grandchildren, says Deirdre in Carrigaline. Yes, we had something similar when my mother-in-law passed away with her neighbours down in Blackrock. I've never been able to work out who or what a funeral actually serves. No one wants to be there from the deceased to the attendants. Uh, What is the purpose of a funeral? Well, you know... You know yourself, it's got a lot of different purposes. In Carrick Tool, all the doors in the main street close, lights are turned off, and the doors close in the pubs, the chippers and the shops, and all of the staff stand outside. Any time out-of-towners are around for it, they just are mesmerised by the view. So in Carrick Tool, they still have the traditional respect of businesses closing. closing. In boarding school in Ross Carberry in the 90s, I was in a study room Upstairs in the convent, the room had six large windows overlooking the lagoon. When we saw a funeral cortege travelling over the causeway, the lights went out in the convent as a mark of respect. And we'd say a prayer 
Um, one or two more here. Uh, my, my dad's family, when someone died, all the clocks in the house were stopped. No radio or television allowed until the funeral was over. The minute my mam died, he went downstairs and stopped the grandmother clock in the sitting room. And that was a tradition, possibly in some homes still, but it was very much a tradition back in the day. But with regards to eulogies, we said we'd put a call in and just get some clarification. Uh, and Father Tom Hayes is a man that we go to often for clarifications on clerical matters. And he joins me by phone. Father Tom, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Is there, is there a rule now or have we missed something with regards to families being told no eulogy? You can say a few words. We have to keep it on track. No, Neil, that's not true. Um, a number of months ago, actually, Bishop Fenton and others in the diocese did a kind of a, a review of funeral practices. It was partly because, just as you've been saying, a lot of things changed during the pandemic. Some things were changing gradually before it anyway, so some of the traditions were changing. So the bishop and the priests and others in the diocese felt it was time to to look at how we do this and how we can support families, especially in the best way possible. Yeah. So briefly, a new policy was brought out a couple of months ago and was promulgated in all the parishes and all the undertakers are party to that as well. And briefly, there is provision in it for a family member uh, to speak for the guidance is for five minutes. Yeah. Um, because obviously, you know, it's a really difficult thing to do it's not an easy thing to do. Most people never stand up and give a speech anyway. And it's a very challenging thing to do. And especially if loaded with emotion as well. So, so do you, have to, put, do you have to put a time limit on it, the bishop, because they were going on too long, is it? Well, I suppose he was given as guidance, as a, you know, because some people wouldn't know what the best is. One of the things that had happened with funerals, and it's still the case, is that while a lot of people support families through the funeral rites, the number of people physically present at the funeral mass now is often smaller than it was traditionally. Because a lot of people go to the funeral home, or a lot of people line the road, as you say. A lot of people may send a message online now. So there's actually a lot of families, when they're faced with planning a funeral, they've actually not been at one very recently, very often. So it's new to them. So they need help and support. So one of the things that the parishes have now as well is most of our parishes now have trained lay people to support families, to guide them and to help them and to answer questions that they have as well. So that includes people can bring up symbols of the person's life as mementos of the person's life and describe them. And they can, they can also nominate somebody to stand up at the microphone. Uh, the recommendation is to do this at the beginning of the service, at the beginning of the Mass, partly because it's much more difficult to do it at the end. Okay, but why so, yeah, then was I talking with people on Friday who were told is it pre- there's a church in Mallow apparently that doesn't allow any eulogies? Is that is that a church gone rogue? Well, I suppose for one thing, Mallow isn't our diocese, Neil. I, I, I can only speak for the Diocese of Cock and Ross. So in our diocese, there is provision for people to stand up. And if, say, for instance, within your own diocese, a priest or a parish priest refuses a family, what should they do? They won't really. No, they don't. Uh, it I, just doesn't I happen. Have, I haven't heard of it in recent times. No. Okay. Okay. Um, like there is provision for people doing it. Um, now, sometimes a family in very traumatic circumstances might be looking for two or three people sometimes to come up and speak one after the other. The recommendation is that that's not that's not the best practice to nominate one person. Let that person. Is, speak. That, is it not best practice? Because it just takes too long. Is it? 
Well, it can. And also, you know, people are coming for all kinds of different reasons to the funeral. And, it, and it, you know, they're coming. Sometimes they mightn't even know the person. So sometimes it's helpful for the person standing up to talk about the person who has died yeah. and to invite everybody to pray. Um, but I suppose you have to keep a balance as well. The primary focus of what's going on in the church building is about prayer for the person and a prayerful support for the family. Um, yeah. some, sometimes people choose to do that eulogy at other places. You know, sometimes people do it at the crematorium or they do it at the gravesite, and that's their preference. In the same way as people's choice around music is sometimes, you know, they want a piece of music at the gravesite rather than inside in the church. And do, I mean... It, it, What's the? Because I've been hearing stories about music being an issue and the gifts at the offertory, where people bring up mementos of the loved one that passed away. That some priests are kind of putting the foot down on the music that could be played or the gifts that could be brought up. You know, there was like sometimes it can be. Sometimes I heard it could be alcohol, for instance. In terms of the music, you see, I suppose again, the primary reason for having music in church is to help us to pray better. That's simply the, the primary purpose of singing hymns and music in church. No, it's the cho- you know the chosen songs for... People might have a chosen song, and there is provision in our policy for having that played, but the recommendation is that it's played at the end of the Mass when the person is being, being uh, cortege out of the church, uh, and that's fine as well. There's one... There's no, there's no band actually, list of songs as such? There isn't, no. Okay. But actually there's one thing, Neil, that a lot of people don't think about, and this only arose since the start of the pandemic and maybe a little bit before it. Sometimes people arrive with a piece and they say, this is my loved one's favourite piece and I want this played in the church. I want it played over the sound system. And they forget that the ceremony nowadays is very often being live streamed. And you know, and a lot of people won't get this, but if you're live streaming and you play a piece of copyrighted music, you're actually in breach of the copyright of the owner of that music. And also some of the live streaming companies will cut the stream when it recognises copyrighted music. And is that happening? Has that happened? It, ha- it has happened, yes. Okay, because of the live stream? Because of the live stream. Okay, okay. So okay. Our, we have in the guidance document to say to families, look, be very careful about the piece of music that you choose. The best option is to have it sung live in the church you're less likely to have it cut by the live streaming companies and the platforms than if it's live. So recorded music being played over a live stream is potentially problematic. Okay. So okay. sometimes there isn't the time or the nuance to explain that to a family. All they might hear is that Father doesn't want us playing the CD, and it's more complex than that. Okay, but with regards to eulogies, what you're saying is there's nothing to see here. There's not banned. It will never be. It, it hasn't happened in, banned, no. in a mean, Cork it, and Ross Diocese church. No, it's in our funeral policy that there is provision for it. Okay. And but you're on the clock of five minutes. Well, it's, this is a guidance, obviously. Do you know what I mean? Nobody's going to stand up after seven minutes and say, sit okay. down. But the guidance that's been given is kind of five, you know, just kind of people think about five minutes. And you'd be surprised, as you know, how much somebody can say in five minutes. Okay, okay. Um, Finbar O'Connor from O'Connor's on Thursday was talking about the tradition of the actual cortege itself as it goes from, say, for instance, the house to yeah. the church or the church to the funeral. He's saying that's changing, that particularly motorists have become very impatient. Have you witnessed that? I must say I haven't personally, but then I have the luxury of being in West Cork, Neil, where... Um, Face the life is slower. 
life is slower. We still have a great respect for, for uh, funerals and for time for the, those times. The other advantage of being in the country is that most of our cemeteries are right beside the church. So we don't have to go across the city. But, but he was also I, saying that a lot of the time, um, you know, businesses would close their front doors, pubs would close, shops would close, people would stand out and pay their respects. That's not happening anymore. And I grew up with that as well. That was, you know, when I was growing up, that was the case as well. But I don't see it happening anymore. I mean, years ago, the, the back page of the paper would be full of notices saying such a business is closed today because so and so. Why did that change, do you think? I don't know. I suppose the world, everybody dropped it. Uh, people felt there wasn't the need anymore. And um, I think it's a shame because I think uh, for a community to stop and recognize that somebody, you know, there's nothing more profound than the death of somebody close to you. And for the community around you to acknowledge it in, in a ritual way, I think is very it's a great support to people. Um, the worst possible thing is burying a loved one and nobody caring. Yeah, I think it was a beautiful thing. I mean, it certainly still happens in rural areas. I see it all of the time. Even yesterday afternoon, I was coming back uh, from South Kerry and uh, again, there was yeah. a, a load of people standing out in, in groups waiting and I knew straight away, clearly there's a horse due. Yeah, you know. uh, absolutely, yeah. I, I think, you know, and some people will say, well, I don't pray anymore. And I'd say, okay, that's your business, but you can still pause. Here's a final for you one. There's one this morning. Sarah Horgan has a story in the uh, Echo where she talks about Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners providing little girls with communion dresses because of families struggling to pay for their child's big day. Uh, I got a text from Bernie who said Penny Dinners wouldn't have to spend money on communion dresses if the schools or churches banned dresses. Communions should be made with the children wearing their school uniforms. Have we learned nothing in the pandemic? Think of all the dresses bought for one day and then discarded. It's such a waste. I won't even go into how many of these children come from Catholic families. That hypocrisy is for another day. But she talks about whether or not the church has a role to ban communion dresses. So it's, it, I suppose, so that it at least ends some of the financial pressure on families. Do you have a thought on that? I, have, I would. I'd have a thought, Neil, but I don't think it's that simple. Um, I remember in one community that I worked in years ago when that issue was brought up and people, you know, were saying, look, so and so, it's often the poorest families spend the biggest amount of money on these occasions. And somebody wisely pointed to me and she said, look, that child is fairly unlikely to have a graduation day out of university. This is her graduation day. Give her a break. You know, and it, it gave me food for thought. Yeah, but if they can't afford it. We could say the same about wedding dresses. You know, there's the rituals. People get carried away, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it's okay to get carried away. I think people need to keep a balance. But I think there's something about the importance of ritual moments in people's lives. We can't just level everything out and pretend. Oh, but there's a charity providing them now, Tom, uh, and apparently mams and dads are coming in together with their child, and they're in, flood, they're in floods of tears, and and untold gratitude to Penny Dinners for giving their daughter. A communion dress. Yeah, I know, but but I th- like the other side of that is that, as I understand it, like if you go into the there's some major shops now selling communion dresses for very small money as well. So th- the cost of a communion dress per se doesn't necessarily have to be a huge burden. If you want a very fancy one, it probably is a lot of money. But my understanding is that the cost of them has come way way down. I think 
the big money on communities get spent in a lot of other things. It's not on the dress itself. Yeah, that could be yeah. true a lot of the time. All right, good stuff. Listen, thanks for taking the call. Covered a lot of ground. Appreciate the All clarification the as always. Cheers. Take Father care. Tom Hayes down in Enniskeen. You can text and get involved in that conversation. Text 86 Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number 0818-104-106. And indeed, from one official ceremony to the other, of course, uh, weddings are indeed what could come out of a Valentine's story or proposal onto the wedding. And of course, we're heading into uh, Valentine's Day. Is it this day week? What day is it? The 7th? Yeah, and this day week. So right across this week, in association with the Cork International Hotel, we have some lovely romantic overnights for you to give away every day. It's an overnight stay for two of you with welcome drinks, breakfast and three-course dinner. Uh, you can actually, if you wish, instead of doing dinner, you could have a fabulous Sunday lunch there, for instance, because they've got a brand new Sunday lunch offering now in the hotel, in the Cork International Airport Hotel. And also a private cinema screening with sweet treats to go with it. So it really is a pamper package for the two of you, courtesy of ourselves in the Cork International Hotel. So we're looking for people uh, who have the most interesting, strange, unusual, unexpected uh, stories about how you found love uh, or indeed where you met your boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, husband, wife, whatever the case may be. So the quirkier, the better. So get texting on that. Text 0868 Proposals of marriage is ones that always interest me. I'd love to get the crazier, the wackier, the weirder, the funnier types of stories with regards to will you marry me proposals, how it happened and how it went. Because I had a buddy, ah, this is going back years now, uh, but he decided to put a huge plan in place that involved his loved one's uh, favourite chocolates. They happened to be, happened to be uh, walnut whips. Are they called walnut whips or walnut whirls? I think they're called walnut whips. So you got the walnut on top of the, of the tower of chocolate, you know, the swirly triangle of, of chocolate. Inside of it is the, the lovely soft, uh, creamy fondant. So she loved them, right? The walnut whips. Absolutely loved them. So he decided to put a plan together. Um, and when she was out, right, he had bought he had bought a load of walnut whips. See, so he got the kitchen table, and he had the ring, and he had all of the walnut whips, and he had a bottle of champagne, and he spelt out in walnut whips the words um, "marry me?" question mark Right. So he used each walnut whip for all the different letters. Marry me. So he had marry me spelt in walnut whips. He had the champagne on the table. He had the ring on the table. And she's out, right? He's expecting her home. And he's got to get the lights down and candles going and everything. And all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden he realizes this. Oh my God, I forgot the flowers. Oh, yeah. So he rushes out, right? To buy flowers, figuring that he'd have time. Um, off he goes. There's a dog in the house, right? <laughs> See, fair idea where this is going. Anyway, so he's out getting the flowers and his phone rings and it's his girlfriend and uh, he answers the phone and she's absolutely hysterical. Ah! And he's thinking, oh, this is great. She's just having to walk in and see, ah, what are you doing? What are you doing? He says, what? Calm down, calm down, calm down. What did you do? What did you do? The dog is after getting sick all over the front room. We're going to have to go to the vet. The dog's in an awful state. What the hell has been going on? So he rushes back to the house only to find, obviously, that as soon as he closed the front door 
and went off to get the flowers. The dog jumped on a chair, from the chair onto the table, ate all of the walnut whips because dogs don't know when they're completely and utterly full. They'll just keep on eating, 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 particularly chocolate. So what went into the dog very soon after came out of the dog. And as soon as it had all come out of the dog, of course, in she comes, opens the front door and sees this absolute carnage before her. So if somebody were to come on the air, for instance, with a story like that, that's a prize winner all day long, i got to tell you, or at least in my opinion. So text 0868104106, and we'll pick that up right across the week, courtesy of ourselves and the Cork International Airport Hotel. All right. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0868104106, Red FM. Uh, a lot of texts on uh, issues that we've been talking about recently. The priest did the eulogy at Armas and got it all completely wrong. The entire family were cringing. He totally did his own thing. He totally confused everything. My mum's name was Olive. I'm getting the opinion that he got your mum's name wrong as well. Uh, No wonder people are bypassing the church and going from funeral home to the grave or crematorium with the carry-on of the priests. Uh, One final one. We had a family funeral yesterday in the country. And one tradition I remember when we were young was that vehicles would stop or pull in until the hearse had passed. No cars stopped yesterday even coming against us. I thought it was such a pity, as I still do it if it's safe to do so on the roads. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868 We'll pick it up after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show Talking a lot about traditions the back end of last week I can remember when a local person would die the local pub or shop would put up two shutters as a mark of respect Thank you for that Another one here from Debbie by text She says My father passed away in April of last year His home our childhood home is an eight-minute walk to the local church. We decided that because we were only allowed to have six people in the church for his funeral service, that we would walk behind the hearse to the church and give our friends and neighbours an opportunity to pay respects as his hearse passed by. Four minutes into the walk, a man drove up behind us and proceeded to speed up and pass us uh, and indeed pass out my father's hearse. I will never forget that. My dad would have been the kind of man that would stop on the road and bless himself every time he passed a hearse, whether he knew the person or not. I wonder, did that man who sped past us ever realize the pain he added to an already incredibly painful and lonesome time? It's good to hear the nice stories of respect that some gave on your show over the past couple of days. Ours wasn't, says Debbie. Well, you know what? As I was reading that text out, I could actually picture it being played out in my mind's eye. Must have been awful for you, you know, six at a funeral. Oh my God, they were tough, tough times. Um, another one here. I can in some way understand why priests don't want eulogies at funerals. My sister-in-law did the eulogy for my husband's funeral, made a point of not mentioning me in any of it. Wow. People at the funeral were horrified. It was certainly in bad taste. wonder why she did that. Um Oh, incidentally, I also got a text here saying that you, in case people are panicked that they have to have a eulogy, you don't. It's not everybody's cup of tea to get up and say a few words. Phil told the truth on Friday. I'm the same. The eulogy should not be allowed. We are all the same in God's eyes, no matter what, says Nora in Newmarket. I think uh, Phil actually just wants to go straight uh, to um, the actual graveyard and wants to bypass all traditions and all religious traditions. Uh, my dad died last year, Neil, and we were told categorically be in and out of the church in an hour. So you certainly were 
on the clock. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106 to the phone lines. Con, good morning. Yeah, good morning. How are you doing? Good. Much of your life, of course, would have been at sea all over the world. And you've told me many fantastic stories about this. Uh, burials at sea. Tell me about that. Well, yes, uh, Neil. I'm sorry. I think I, I was involved with about 20 burials at sea in my time Crikey. out of Australia. It was quite common at the time for people, through choice, to be buried at sea. Okay, now tell me, tell me why and when this was happening. Why? Well, a lot of, see, this is before this cruise ship business became a big time. It was very small in the 70s and the 80s. And a lot of older people used to go away. And the story was they used to go away knowing they didn't come back. And they were, they were buried at sea. And that's, what, that's how it went. And, of course, my job on that ship was to, to get the canvas ready to bury him in a canvas, to sew, sew the body up in a canvas shroud, metal bars on the legs, and um, the, the chief officer would tell me then the, the burial would be at sunset. And this, so was on, this was on cruise ships, was it, Con? Well, it was on cruise ships. Look, they weren't called cruise ships really at that time, but that's what they would be called now, okay. yes. Okay, okay. Yes. And it, it wasn't a case that they had to be buried at sea because they were too far from land, was it choice? Oh, choice, nearly. Yeah. Look, look, there would be there was, a, there was a mortuary on board. My job was actually to go to the mortuary. The body would be just wrapped in a white sheet, and then, with the help of some of my crewmates, I would be, I would um, get the body out and put it on a burial board. The burial board was identical shape to a to a coffin. It had rope handles on it, and then during the afternoon, I would go in there to the mortuary and I would sew up the body. I would secure the metal bars between the knees and the ankles. Yeah. And then I would call the chief officer and say, call me when the body has to be removed to the area for for the burial. Then an hour before sunset, I would then, with the help of my colleagues, again, remove the body from the mortuary to the shelving doors, the gun port doors. And then the ship would slow down. I would call the chief officer, he'd come down, everything was ready. I would put the flag of their nation over the body and um, the captain then would come down and it was all over in five minutes or less. In silence? Oh, yes, look, I had amazing respect for them people because, look, I had had no idea who I was sewing up. I didn't know who they were, where they were from, until I found out after what nationality they were for, out of respect, draping with the flag of their nation, you know? So none of the other um, passengers would be aware of this happening on board ship? No, 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 nobody knew about that. Even the crew wouldn't know about that. That was a very... It was a very sort of an open secret between myself, the chief officer, the other ratings with me for that occasion. Everything was uh, curtained off. In the in the uh, sunset, the ship would close, uh, like I said, the ship would slow down, and then the captain would come down, and his final words, he'd look at, he was always facing me, because I was in the inboard side, and, he, and his words were, I commend you to the deep. Christ. The, li- the board was lifted up, the body was slid out from under the flag, and... The destination was the seabed. You see, I, I can't get my head around about that. You say that the people would go on the cruise knowing that they were going to pass away. How would they know? Well, look, that's what, look, it was, that, was the, that was how it was. It wouldn't always have been like that, Neil, but it was 
quite a common topic because some people were very, very old and yeah. very fragile. And sometimes we do a long voyage. We'd go up to up to the South China Seas. We'd be in the middle of the South Pacific, North Pacific, Indian Ocean. Uh, it, there was no designated area for for that uh, for the burial, and uh, you know. But there is now. It's totally different now. What? And how is it different now? You're not allowed to do it anymore. You're not allowed to do it. There would be a morgue no. on board. There's a morgue on board, and because uh, those days, you know. And look, there was much time. I would get the instructions in the morning from the chief officer. There's a burial at Sunset Con. Can you uh, sew up the body and uh, get it ready? And that's how it was done. I got my $20 and my liter of rum for every time I did it, and that was it. It's like something out of the uh, 1700s, isn't it? I know, but you see, in the past, actually, Neil, people, the, the ships that I were on were formerly migrant ships. And a lot of migrants never made their destination, and they were also buried at sea. Yeah, I know. What would you do with their belongings then? Asked after they had been. That that, that, that was always that, that was. I actually had nothing to do with it. The, all they had when I was there was a sheet wrapped around them. Uh, Neil, the, the, the rest of the sheet, they were wrapped in a white sheet, and the rest was done to the uh, people on board who were responsible yeah, to the next of kin. And sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be no, there'd be no relatives. You know, I listened recently to people only ten allowed at a funeral. There was often no one there, only the captain, the chief officer, myself, and three more uh, people in uniform. But that somebody at some stage would have to try and find their relations and oh, tell they, them they, that they would be local. notified. Yeah. Oh, they would be no. Oh yes, they would be notified before anything was done. They would be notified, and then of course the choice was then to bury him at sea or bring him back to the nearest port and fly him home. So there was there was an option, you know. But not anymore now. You can't be buried at no, sea. No, I think there was a designated... In, in, in the UK, I believe there's a designated area where it can still be done. Is that right? To my knowledge, uh, Neil, you know. But look, that was the way it was. It was quite a normal thing for me to do. Yeah. I mean, it's not the easiest job in the world. How did you feel about doing it? Is it something you got used well, you to know, doing? Well, you know, there's only myself... And that body in the morgue, it's in the grim old, it's a cold, grim old spot. And I did often wonder what their lives was, was like, what they had, did they have a good life, who they were, where they were from. I had actually no idea where they were from, no idea who they were, not, just I knew nothing about them. Would you do your job in silence then, that preparation? Oh, to- totally. I had massive respect for the dead people, you know. Totally. There was nobody allowed in there, apart from moving the body out of the fridge. Amazing. To lay it on the canvas, the rest was down to me then, you know. And Isn't then, that amazing? I mean, you've mm. had such an incredibly amazing and varied life, yeah. con, haven't you? A little bit different, you know, a little bit different, Neil. <laughs> Listen, there's yeah. a book in it, you can be sure of it. <laughs> Sit down at that table and get writing, do you hear me? (laughs) Neil, I never wrote home. I don't think I'm going to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) Do stay in touch. I'll be lost without you. Great to catch up again, Con. Look after yourself. You you mind yourself. Take care. All the best. Take care, pal. All the best. You're talking about traditions and things, uh, folklore and issues. You might have wondered how how far back we can trace many of our our traditions when it comes to the things that we do or don't do anymore. One wonders whether we go way back to to pagan times. Seamus was chatting on, on Friday with Shane Broderick, who is actually a folklorist based here in Cork City. Uh, indeed, not just that, but he lectures uh, at the Irish Pagan School. Bet you didn't know there was such a thing as an Irish Pagan School. Well, there is. Shane, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you getting on? I didn't even know that myself. Is that an actual bricks and mortar or is it online? It isn't. It's online. 
um, just started up in the last few years by um, an Irish author, Laura O'Brien, and her partner, John O'Sullivan. It's entirely based online, and uh, it, it has a focus around, uh, well, focusing on Irish teachers who specialise in not only paganism, but folklore and Irish culture in general. Yeah, because this, of course, would be pre-religion, wouldn't it? When, when, when paganism would have been the worshipping of the sun, the stars, the seasons and things, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, incidentally. It, it, it is mostly nature-based, um, but it, it's not entirely just focused on nature because you have gods and goddesses as well. Yeah. And cults, yeah. presumably cults built around them as well. And is that where Bridget came from? It is. Um, well, it, it, it's argued. A lot of people will argue it because it, the earliest mention we have of her is probably 9th century. But in that mention, it's in Cormac's glossary, and and it says he says that among all Irish, a goddess used to be called Bridget. Bridget. No, yeah. the thing with Bridget is, it might be a name of a person, which in the lore, if you look at it, it can be a single person or three sisters all named Bridget. But also, there's an argument we said that it could have been a title as well or an epithet. Like it, it technically means exalted one, but the old Irish version of it, which is Brig to mean authority, strength, vigour and powerful as well. Because my, 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 my simplistic view of this in my own head all along was that Bridget was a saint, um, that she was um, actually not a Catholic or a, a Christian saint. She predeceased, she predated all of that, that the church kind of, you know, took her and created her as a, as a, as a Christian, as a Christian saint, but that she was much older than that. And then, of course, we, we honour her then with, well, she's going to get a bank holiday now, but with the, the St. Bridges Cross. What's the cross about? Well, there is a mention in her, the, the life of Bridges, which, which most fans will have a life written about them. They tend to be fairly propaganda-based for the church that's writing them. And the first actual mention, we, we have nothing historical for the person, the saint. Um, so that's one of the arguments why it could be the syncretized saint as well. Um, but are the syncretized goddess. But it, we have nothing concrete, historical about Bridget herself. Yeah. Like the first mention of her is over 100 years later, uh, after her supposed death, written by a guy called Cogitosis, who was the predecessor of the of Muraku, the fellow who wrote St. Patrick's Life. So we, we don't really have anything historical tying Bridget to person, so we can't really tell which person informed the other. So whether it was the goddess informed yeah. her, or and stories change, of course, over the years and the centuries. And we found that with, say, Mary Magdalene, who wasn't, who wasn't, uh, uh, as was deemed at the time, a, a prostitute at all. She just got yeah, that yeah. because it suited the narrative from the church at some stage, many, many centuries yeah. ago. But, but so the St. Bridget's Cross, then, that that is still made in Catholic schools in primary schools. Why, yeah. why is that significant? Why, why do we do that? Um, well, it's for protection at home, and we don't know, we can't really trace how far it goes back. There, There is arguments for it being pre-Christian and imitating a sun cross and stuff like that. So that's a tradition but, that has um, been going on for thousands of years then? Possibly. There, there is a mention of it in the saint's life, um, where she makes a cross out of reed. We don't know whether it's the cross that we make now, or whether it was just an imitation of a Christian cross, um, which we can't tell but um, what what people actually use it for these days or what they used it for in the past was protection of the home 
And from what evil spirits or the devil or what? It, 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 it to protect against anything, but the, the main the main reason for it was to protect against fire, to protect against lightning. And if you hung it up in um, like in the, with the animals out in the buyers and stuff, yeah. And um, if you hung it out there, it was to protect from sickness and fairy inter- intervention as well. Fairies. Yeah. Because fairies were very, very much believed to be the real deal for a long, 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 long time. And for some still, weren't they? People were in I fear of them. For some, yeah. There was yeah. areas of a, of a field that you wouldn't go near, apparently, if there was a fairy mound. Yeah, or certain fields, or um, fairy trees, or fairy forks any fort that would be considered a fairy amazing, fort. Amazing, amazing. You, know, you mentioned trees then. We were talking last week about rag trees, one of them spotted down in Cloyne. What, what are rag yeah. trees? So you'll usually find these around um, holy wells or sites where holy wells used to be. You'll often find that sometimes they can, they can dry up or even move position. But um, they'll typically tend to be around them. And the practice was that you would touch a piece of cloth into the, the well, touch it off whatever area of your body is affected, tie it to the tree, and through sympathetic magic, as the cloth starts to rot away, your sickness will disappear with it. And was that found to work, do you know? Well, I, I, I think with a lot of things, it's all down to belief. Um, it's all down to, You could argue that there is like um, a placebo effect to it. Perhaps, um, yeah, mind over matter, it, 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 like, it, yeah. Yeah, but it was a widespread belief and similar forms of sympathetic magic were used for a number of different things for healing. Yeah, like yeah. getting rid of warts was another one it was used for, um, which can be used with snails or you can put bags into stones and leave them somewhere for someone someone to find and then you'll transfer your warts to them. <laughs> oh, come on, Shane, really? Stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You were unfortunate enough to pick up the bag then. You got the bag, warts and all. Yeah, that's yeah. probably where that saying came from, warts and all. It's very possible, yeah. Were people very suspicious all the same, though? Yeah, the. the oh, the sorry, no, no, no. Did I say suspicious? I mean, superstitious all superstitious. the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the term used usually would be pishog, um, which can mean superstition or it can mean a spell or a curse as well. So people must have spent their lives. I don't know how many people still do just worried and in fear of what might happen and taking all sorts of precautions to prevent it. Like we hear of, you know, I, I don't know whether it's a pagan tradition, but, you know, the, the horseshoe and over the over the, the door in the houses. Wasn't that for, was that for good luck? Or yeah, what? It, it was luck, yeah, and protection as well because it's iron. And again, circling back to the fairies or the other crowd, um, it'll, it'll protect against them because it's iron and they don't like it. Oh, and the shape of the horseshoe deflects the badness or the curse or the evil thoughts or whatever the case may be away from those in the house. Yeah, that was one of the things, yeah, but depending on which way you point to this, uh, if there's some, some sort of folklore behind which way it's pointed and it'll push luck down or up and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But it was typically more because of what it was made from than the actual shape or the horseshoe itself. There was another couple that you were chatting with with Seamus about. One of them was Chalk Sunday and another was our traditions of the wake, wasn't it? Where people were... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the wake games, yeah. Were there games played? Um, there was. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it would be surprising to most people now because you think of funerals and even wakes as a very solemn, dour affair. Um, 
it, it wasn't that in the past. We had a, a much better connection with death. We're, we're very disconnected from that these days. And you can see from looking at these old accounts um, that there was a lot, like it, it was a big meeting point for the community when somebody died. There was a lot of money went into it in terms of supplying tobacco and snuff and drink for everybody, which was a main reason why church opposition from the 16th or the 17th century onwards up to 1927. Uh, you have multiple and synods being held to try and stop people from having these wakes because the church wanted the money instead of it going into oh, drinking. Oh, right, so. yeah. Instead of spending but, it on drinking tobacco, give it to the church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, did, and did, did it work? Did. I mean, has it, has it... I mean, like, when my mother died in 2007 and we for want of a better word, would have had a wake because she remained at home for a couple of days and, and people called in and they were given food or a drink or a cup of tea. That's a wake, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, there was a lot more to it back then um, in terms of storytelling, games, riddles, feats of strength and agility, stuff like that, and random mischief. There's, there would be an absolute controversy if half of the stuff happened these, day, like, these days at a wake or a like what, what kind of mischief do you know? Well, like, they, they would have, like, besides feats of strength, you might lift people, chairs, stuff like that. But they would have, like, slapping games that would normally erupt into a huge fight oh. if somebody was losing. And they'd play tricks on people. Like, there's one game called uh, Bees in the Hive, where you would get somebody who didn't know what the game was and get them pretend to be the hive, where everybody else would pretend to be bees. <laughs> but they'd go out and secretly fill their mouth with water and come in and spit it all over the person that's standing there because they're putting honey in the hive. So <laughs> they would mix they might, pepper and tobacco, was well, Yeah, they would, yeah, into the snuff or into the oh, tobacco. God. People were um, smoking in the pipes and they'd do stuff like they'd block the chimney up and tie people into, or lock the doors to the house so the whole house is filled with smoke. So, <laughs> was somebody hide under stuff. the bed that the corpse was in? Oh, they would, yeah. Um, that that was the, seems to be a fairly common one. They could either tie ropes to the carts to move a tan or in a, a funny one that I've seen that would like you'd be murdered if you'd done it today like it, if somebody was bent over crooked from uh, arthritis or stuff like that and they would have to be tied down onto the table to keep them straight dead now, while they're is, dead yeah. so somebody would go underneath the table and cut the ropes which would cause the person to basically sit stumbish upright and scare the life out of everybody in the room. <laughs> you could give someone a heart attack. I mean, were they all the oh, worst? Could, were they the worst to wear for whiskey? Maybe the church were right. Yeah, who knows? But uh, like, I think it's just <laughs> it's just the, the the mindset they had was that they were involved. It wasn't desecration of the corpse or wasn't anything like that. It was more involving the person that had died in the party as well because they would often come in playing cards in the room and give them a hand of cards, put a pipe in their mouth or they'd even have cases where they brought them out to dance. Hey, you know, like yeah, go give me a break. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, 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 dance with the corpse. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's more of involving them in everything rather than making a mockery out of the corpse okay. or doing anything like that, you know. Okay. It's a fascinating topic. It, yeah. Fascinating. Well, what's Chalk Sunday then? That was um, where they targeted fellas who couldn't get a girl, is it? Yeah. Typically, weddings were based around Shrove Toys and they were banned during, it, uh, during Lent. So anybody who didn't get married uh, would have to basically wait till the next year. 
and there was a lot of status based around marriage. So if you were a man, regardless of how old you were, you were still considered a boy if you weren't married. And this whole chalk Sunday and a few other things like it, like there was, um, there was Donuck and Smoot, which was uh, Puss Sunday, basically, saying that people had a puss up in them because they didn't get married. Puss Sunday. Chalk Sunday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Salt Monday as well, where they would throw salt at people to preserve them till next year. For God's sake, that's, in- that's intimidation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, as people would get older, the, the mockery would get more, and they did obviously get more angry about it. But the chalk Sunday, it was people would be targeted coming out of mass, so they'd be wearing their best clothes, presumably, and all these kids would wait for them, and they would target them and draw X's on their back with sticks of chalk. Was that meant to be in good humour and light-hearted? Because I'm quite sure that everybody would have seen it that way. Well, it, it, it was definitely in the, the eyes of the people who were doing it. It was meant to be a bit light-hearted, but they would target people they didn't like as well sometimes and make more of a target out of them. And as people, as I said, as people got older, they'd be less having fun about it because they had to sink into the realisation that maybe they're not going to get married. And this kind of torture is going to go on all their life? Presumably, yeah. So they'd be desperate to find someone, wouldn't they? To marry anyone at that yeah. stage. Yeah. And is that is that connected then to the Skellig list? There was a big party on the Grand Parade, wasn't there? Um, some beautiful art in the Crawford, actually, interpreting Skellig Night on the South Mall, for yeah. instance. What was Skellig Night? So it's, it's typically Munster-based, as far as I could see. Um, it was practiced in Cork City. As you said, there is that painting that, that displays people party in the sort of a very party atmosphere and this bonfires lighting and stuff like that but it was again targeted at single people um, it, it, I think it died out because people were starting to have issues with the fact that they were getting local poets to compose poems about the single people and they were often very scathing they would print them out and paste them all over the city um, and they would target the people and the belief was that Easter was celebrated a week later because it was called going to the Skelligs or the Skelligs or Skellig Night. Now, Skellig Michael was supposedly Easter was celebrated a week later there than it was on the mainland. With the monks kind of thing, connected. yeah. Yeah, yeah, which could be connected. There was a whole thing called the Easter controversy where the Irish church felt that they, believed, they knew the correct calculation of Easter, whereas the Roman church didn't. And that went on for a few hundred years. But um, it, it, it might be connected to that. So there's this belief that they hold Easter a week later, so people would still have a week to get married. Oh, so they would target these. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They would yeah. target these single people, and they would keep going around telling them, "Oh, make sure you don't miss the boat," or "When are you going to the rock?" and stuff like that. And there would bands of young men would go around trying to target singles. They'd either tie them up and put them under a pump, a water pump, and soak them, or they'd throw them in the river, telling them they were going to the Skelligs. I got to tell you, people were very cruel back then. But it, it, there was an element of that to it, but it, it, sometimes it was targeted towards people who might not have been favoured in the community, so there was this sort of... Um, An opportunity to have a go. Thing. Yeah, and there was a social thing that would kind of keep you in check as well, where you would be targeted at certain times of the year if you weren't, if you didn't keep yourself in check, like they'd target you again on Halloween, like uh, by throwing turnips at your door or stealing <laughs> your gate, like that, you know. There was, there was a huge price to be put on getting married, wasn't there? 
Father Roger, definitely. Amazing. You're an incre- you're a fountain of knowledge. Um so if anybody wants to be part of your um of your college, your online college, how can they do so? Well I I, I wouldn't be mine now I'm only a teacher that's Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Well, you're part of obviously, it. but um yeah, um you, you can find it online through the Irish Pagan School and they they have and no they well they have free courses and they have most of them are paid, but there is quite a few um uh free ones under um from different things like paganism and folklore like I have a six week folklore course on there I have one uh, it's coming up again live in March in the middle of March the folklore uh, one would be fascinating wouldn't it Shane? yeah there's so Um, much of it there's there's a nice range of stuff in there and it ends with um, a, a workshop where I teach people how to collect folklore and how to to an archival standard like I was trained myself in college so there isn't a thing you'd miss when you're out and about you'd have eyes on everything you'd have to, you'd be surprised by what's there what people don't know yeah and that we don't know or see because we don't know what we're looking for a lot of the time yeah and as well for anybody for anybody who is interested in folklore we have one of the largest folklore archives in Europe um, it's mostly digitised online now at dupus.ie and um, you can search by topic. You can go through the tens of thousands of photographs, uh, folk tales. And these were all collected as well. The school's collection was a big part of it. And it was collected in 1938 from school children around um, the 26 counties. But would the Irish um, pagan school on a Google search be a good place to start? It would. It would. Fair and I have a blog as well that focused on uh, Irish folklore which is called Irish folklore and traditions but there's, there's tons of stuff up there too Listen it's a pleasure talking to you seriously really and truly very Thanks very informative me. Cheers Shane take care of yourself Sorry. All the Sorry. best Shane Broderick yeah. folklorist and you can get further details as I say just a simple Google search I think it's fascinating I really do Irish Pagan School online Back after the break text 0868104106 Neil's got a new number call him now on 0818104106 And indeed you can always drop us an email if you have a story to share and drop it off to uh, neil at redfm.ie and we always be pleased to hear from you. I was referencing a story earlier this morning. Sarah Horgan has it in the uh, in the Echo, and also you're hearing other stories with regards to the prices of things very very high now and destined to keep increasing. As to what government is going to do about it, I wouldn't be holding my breath. A lot of the time, it's down to local communities, whether it's the likes of St Vincent de Paul giving food hampers or paying bills, or as I was mentioning in Sarah Horgan's article, Cork Penny Dinners, who now have uh, added yet another. Uh, initiative for families who are struggling and that is providing a communion dress to a family who literally just can't find the money. Many people are making call now between food and heat and that's where we're at now and uh, God only knows I hate to be the doomsayer but it's not going to, there's going to be a lot more to come before it starts to improve but enough of me Katrina Toomey joins me by phone. Katrina good morning Good morning, Neil. And, and yet again, Cork Penny Dinners to the forefront. Obviously, you came up with this initiative out of absolute necessity. Um, how, well, do you, how are you yeah. going to do it? How are you doing it? We we started it years ago and we set up a shop in the River Lee Hotel, a one-day shop where people came in. And because we had people asking us for dresses and 
suits for boys and stuff like that and we just said what can we do so we put an appeal out there and then we set it up over with Rory over the River Lee Hotel and we had um, you know people that came on board to help us out with it now we keep doing it every year yeah. since and um, what people what the families would do they would come into Penny Dennis with their children now thank God for the innocence because the little girls when they would come in you know we'd have them down the back discreetly you know and to be kind of blocked off and they could try on their dresses with their parents and to be after hours like say, yeah they'd so they know no but better you're pretend, saying yeah. no we yeah. would pretend that it was a shop and for some reason they all believed it all the children and they thought they were in a shop and they would try on their dresses and we got such beautiful dresses that the kids were really very happy even one time we had to source a dress, you know, um, child who was very, very tall and to get a dress for her and we had a bit of a problem getting it but in the end it came it came through, you know, the, the power of kind of people helping know, just yeah. got her out there and we got it. But, you know, we'd give them the, the tiaras, we'd give them the little handbags, the socks and in some instances shoes as well and, and stuff and the same for the boys. So, again, this year, we'll be doing it because the communions are back on properly this year. Last year and there before, they were on, they were cancelled, they were on, they were cancelled, you know, and, and that over the pandemic. Yeah. But this year, this year, they're on and good to go. So, we're running the, the shop again. We you, have, you must hear very sad stories from the parents when they come in, though, as to the reasons why they reach out to you. They reach out because they just can't put it together. They're struggling as it is. And, you know, a child only makes the communion once in a lifetime, you know, and the confirmation once in a lifetime. And it's kind of a tradition, and it's probably one of the most, you know, beautiful days of the year for a little girl to have to put that dress on or the boy to put the suit on them and feel special and, you know, to get the gifts and the things and all the stuff that they get, as well as getting their Holy Communion. And the schools put a lot of prep into it. So, like, if you attend a, a... communion service I can hear the children singing in the choir and doing the readings and doing everything it's a really special day Uh, and lots of you know and it's kind of it's our tradition and and it's what we did here everybody celebrates their way their way but this is kind of one that's you know akin to us here and um, but it's a lovely lovely day and for the children and when the families can't afford to get that special dress or can't afford to get the suit then they, you know, do they bring it? And do they bring it back work. to you then, so it can be passed on to the next child and things like that? We totally when they when they go, it's the child's dress. Yeah, and some do bring them back, you know. But we let the child know it's their dress. It's not a loan. It's given to them. It's and they don't know it's a gift. They actually think their parents buy the dress for them because you can hear them thanking their mommy and their daddy. And is it? There was so a story that that's right. They think it's a shop, but there was a story of a, a mommy who. Would, would sat down with her daughter and they were googling dresses at home you know pret- she was pretending yeah. to the child was that it she was yeah and she was showing the child the dresses and we had an idea of what the child wanted kind of when uh, she came in so we picked all those ones up because I tell you you've never seen such an array of styles and lengths and stuff like they're all completely different and there's hundreds of them so we had an idea what the child wanted so we had all those kind of type dresses out the front and the child tried it on the minute she put it on her it was absolutely perfect. You don't think that it should be uh, that it should be done away with do you the pressure of communion dresses oh, and confirmation? You know, that's kind of 
that's uh, I suppose that's not for me to call the pressure of everything. Look, a person is going to have to put their electricity in this week, like you know, that they have a ready to go thing, or whether they have you know to pay a bill, they're going to have to do that. And that's every week. The communion is once in a lifetime, and it's you know it's something that children expect and they look forward to in schools. You know, so how how do you do away with that? U- uniforms maybe or just casual I don't know or just a very plain robe well, for, the, for, the, I don't know. for the for the confirmations they, they can be uniforms or just clothes that they can wear afterwards which is brilliant but do you know I look I made my communion I can remember it oh, quite no. well yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, I know. and I, I thought I'd never get into that dress yeah. and head off up you know like with my little ringlets and stuff like that you know and out uh, to the church and and Years ago, you'd have to walk up to the church, you know, from the school and that parade up to the church. You, you remember the whole lot of it. And everybody I went to school with and my sisters went to school with, they all remember their day. It's their well, day. So they deserve it. They're entitled day. to it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, even my grandmother used to tell us about her communion day. And um, she, she she told us she got sixpence of somebody, like, which was like a fortune. <laughs> and she was all, over the over the moon, like, and we all knew about the sixpence because she used to tell us, uh, and you know, so like, it is a joyful day for our children, and that's something. Do we take it away? And you know, I don't think so. No, I get know. the impression and, that you would yeah. say no to that. I mean, it's it's astonishing how other businesses come on board to help you then, because I know that there's uh, there's dry cleaning involved. I know the great uh, Joe Byrne from Joe's Hair Salon. He he does he does the hair, doesn't he? He does, and he's just incredible. You can't say enough about the man. He really is just so good. And and he will, the children, and again, the purpose of all of this is to let the children think that it's normal that mammy and daddy are doing this for them, and you take the pain away for the parents, which is the important thing. And Joe, Joseph and the team will say, they're, oh, my God. Flashing road, really yeah. yeah. It's just incredible. And is, there, is there a need for more communion suit distributors as well? Oh, yeah. We have Dave. Dave is just incredible behind the scenes. Dave just does stuff continuously and never stops. And, uh, you know, um, Dave will just show up with boxes of stuff, you know, you don't know he's coming and stuff. Now Joseph does the same thing. You know, like everybody in Cork has a bottle of shampoo, like from Joseph and and, and stuff and conditioner and the best of it too. Do you know, (laughs) like there's no ending to them. And then we have Buckley's in Shandon Street and we have Cinderella's Closet to to fall back on the whole time. They're just brilliant. There's no chance of you being overwhelmed by queries or demand, no? No, no. And like, we don't come out of like those that can't afford communion dresses and suits have them already and we always keep it to come out a little bit later so as to give the shops gotcha. a chance yeah. to sell their wares you yeah. know which is how they make their living so not to be kind of crowding in on top of people and saying oh You're don't you know that. Yeah, 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 yeah because yeah. those shops are actually very very good to us and, and, and outstanding and we won't be short of anything for any child because they will help us if we're short on any on any front, but when we get the dress, we get all the little bits and bobs as well. And tell me, and do you think is it a case now because we're hearing about energy costs going up just to literally have the heating on oh, and all, sure. and inflation is driving yeah. every single thing that we eat now and put on the table is costing more and will continue to do so. Are you seeing? Um, is that impacting on people who are calling for help? Absolutely. You know, we talk about the cost of living, but it's the cost of survival now. 
and a lot of people can't do it. They just can't anymore. They're tired from trying to make ends meet. They're tired from trying to survive, to get by. They're trying, tired from paying mortgages, from yeah. working hard. Yeah. They're tired from trying to survive. It's very, very difficult now and hurting people in many, many ways. And of course, obviously, emotionally, physically, direct. And when people come to us, you can see that devastation in them. You can see that, you know, we're their last straw. And and these would be some, some of these would be people who were, who were, who were managing this time last year, for instance, or two yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and who, who, you know, who went from, you know, being grand and getting by and being able to afford a house and being able to afford you know a mortgage or rent being able to buy a car and stuff like that to people who just can't even afford to put fuel in their car now they can't even put on like we have some people come to us for hot dinners because they can't use their electricity because they won't have enough just for the bare little light of the house we have people that can't afford coal they can't even afford you know fire lighters you know it all comes as a package like it's not just one thing there's loads of things so if you have people that have to pay gas, electricity, you know, and and pay all the other bills that they have to pay, plus buy food, something is going to suffer. I know. And the food is always the last one because you have to pay your bills. Your oh, up, sure, I know, I know. Up the walls, or else you're in yeah. the darkness and in the cold or you you've are. got a problem with you, uh, a non-paid mortgage. Yeah. You are. Yeah. And, and you, see, you see people, like we, one thing that we noticed throughout the, the pandemic with the people coming to the doors was the physical effect it had on people. And they came down and you could see it, you could see the fear, you could see the pain, the hurt, the humiliation, the, you know, it was like an illness and they suffered because of it. And you could see that as well in people. And that for us was very hard because we're only human as well. And yeah, but I was going to ask you, that, how do you protect yourself from that, from taking on all of that pain? Um, how do you manage? By being practical and doing what we have to do and giving it to people. Like people might come to the door, they might ask you, look, when you have women come down to the door asking you for, you know, a packet of always, or toilet paper and stuff. Like, you know, Neil, this is 2022. In 2021, it was still happening. And in 2020, what's going to happen in 2023? Because it's getting worse. Things are getting worse. Does it, does it impact on you, though, and, and the volunteers? Yes, it does. When you have to, when somebody has to ask you for something, you know, just like a toilet roll or something. Of course, it impacts on us. And we feel very hurt for them and we feel very hurt that they're in that position to have to come. Could you imagine having to go someplace and asking somebody, have you got a toilet roller, you know? Do you make you angry? Something. Oh, I am I would be very, very hurt for them, yeah. We, we all are, all the volunteers are very hurt. Like we have volunteers that have to go to people's houses for hampers and they come back. Can, can I take them a bit more? You, you get, you do get emotional, but being practical is the one thing that we yeah, all have yeah, learned yeah. to do inside because, you know, we could shed a tear and, and, and not offer any assistance or we could assist and try and stop their tears. It's it's a hard one, but I think being practical is one of our mm, biggest assets mm, that we have inside. Mm, we just do it. You know, you put your head down, mm, you suck it up, mm, head down, and you get assets, and that's it. Um, we've already started to get calls from people saying that they'll drop communion dresses into penny dinners to, to you. And one woman in West Cork who used to own a boutique will drop in seven dresses, never worn, still oh in God. the plastic. Are, are you are, are you still looking for help and assistance? Yes, 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 we are. Because as I said, 
the communions are in full swing now this year. You know, and like it's good that the families know that their child is going to be the same as every other child that's out there. That's very important for the parents as well, because okay. God loves okay. humiliation. You know, the sense of bewilderment that they feel, we can sense that from them. And then they look at you and you can see in their eyes the fear first because they're, you know, mortified like it's coming to us. And then the second one, then they're so grateful that their child is happy. Yeah, of course, because, you know, I can't overemphasize this to a small young child. They want to be like all of their friends. They want to be part. They want to be involved, you know, and, and you... You want that to happen because it can impact their whole lives otherwise. Absolutely. And that's what the that's what we must look at here. How how do we make it best for every child and how do we make it good for them? And we're creating memories. As I said, I remember my grandmother's sixpence and her dress because she told me every little piece of lace that was on her dress and stuff like that. I also remember the stories back then when people didn't have anything and they were borrowing and mothers were up all night trying to sew things together you know yeah. every night for their for their children but as I said we've moved on we're in 2022 I know but, but unfortunately it's such a disposable world now you know it is yeah it is and such a hurtful one that people's feelings aren't taken into consideration when decisions are made and yes Everybody will get the 100 euros towards their electricity, but sure, how long will that last Yes, for? yeah, I know, I know. You're dealing you with know. the practicalities of people's lives day in, day out. So people want to yeah. help in any way, shape or form, particularly with communion dresses. Are you, are you looking for anything else besides that? I, I suppose suits for the boys. We'll, the dresses are always big, you know, because people will give them, but um, we'd be, it would be slow with the boys ones, all right, and this is where Dave and uh, would kind of step up to the mark here mm. and um, Andrew Andrew Ray from Simply Suits they're just they're, you know they're decent honest to God good people that want to help others like you know and th- that's just what they do we're always same with Joseph we're over he can never do enough at all like he's just something else and he takes it all in a stride completely you know you, you wouldn't think he had done anything like mm, okay. he just wants to make yeah, sure everybody's alright all right. Yeah. so if anybody wants to help get involved um, Hanover Street is just off Washington Street can't miss it yeah. you're open no. there and you're you're very happy to see people with anything they might like to bring to help absolutely uh, you know it's everybody helping each other now and again you know we're going up the mountain on the 2nd of April and we're making Gugambara our big one and we're taking our bears up around we have Bear Hope we have a few lads going up Crow Patrick and they'll have Charlie Bear and Vicky Bear <laughs> for Vicky Feeling and, and Charlie, Charlie Bear. Bird. well done and what, what we're doing we're just saying like maybe five euro registration for everyone they can give what they want but 40% of it will be going to motor neuron and 60% will be going to the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork in memory of Ashling Murphy. Yes, okay. Incredible. You are absolutely incredible, you and all of the team. Katrina, um, thanks so much for taking the call uh, on everybody's behalf for the work that you do. And anybody that wants to get involved can just go directly to you uh, at Penny Dennis and bring whatever they wish, whether it's a suit or indeed um, a communion dress. Thanks so much for taking the call. Cheers. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Katrina Tumi, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Text 0868104106. You can always email neil at redfm.ie. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter.
at Neil Red FM. Uh, with regards to um, old traditions, uh, or indeed as some of them are known as Peshogs, my wife always waves at magpies. Always. It's the single one you wave at, isn't it? If there's two, it's fine. But if there's just one of them, you have to give it a wave, apparently. Thanks, William Middleton. I was wondering, it's confusion last week as to what an itchy nose signifies. I always thought it was that, uh, you know, somebody was saying something about you or talking about you. Or maybe that was an itchy ear. Others said that there was money coming. Um, another one here says, an itchy nose, it's either news, booze, or a battle. Or maybe all three. An itchy nose signifies news, booze, or a battle. Uh, the last time I saw a rag tree was uh, in South Australia. We drove from Sydney to Perth along the Great Ocean Road with my wife Vivian. It was festooned, this is the rag tree, it was festooned with bras, flip-flops, and thongs. And God only knows what else. Obviously, some Irish people started the tradition over there. Great memories for me and Viv, says Tony and Vivian Moore in Black Rock. <laughs> Brass, flip-flops and thongs. Morning, since I was a child, I'm 46 now, I'd always bless myself if an ambulance with sirens flew past me. But I would also say, cross my fingers, cross my toes, and hope that I'd never have to get one of those as a past by um, some things that have always stuck with me, says Lisa. In fact, a firefighter got in touch. I'm a firefighter with Cork County Services. And if I'm driving to a call with blues, as in with the blue lights flashing, I often see people blessing themselves. So even the firefighters see people blessing themselves when a fire brigade is passing. My mum, now deceased, would have put a rag on her white thorn hedge every year, the night before St. Bridget's Day. Her belief was it was blessing and to bless and protect those who got a piece of the rag. I have continued the tradition for years, says Pat. And a final one, with regards to eulogies, funerals may be run-of-the-mill day-to-day time-sensitive businesses to operators of a church, but ordinary people bury their loved ones once only. It is far more significant to us than to them. Operators of these churches ought to bear that in mind every single day they have a funeral, says Richie in Toker. So thank you for those texts. Keep them coming. Text 0868 And we'll pick it up after 11. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. New year, new number for Neil. 0818 104 So, I was telling you the story about your man with the dog and the walnut whips and uh, all that uh, stuff that happened when he went out to get the flowers. Haven't forgot the flowers came back, of course, and the dog had ate all the walnut whips. It was spelling out the word, marry me, with a question mark. Um, so, stories like that, please, and others like it. Um, and we have some great prizes right across this week ahead of Valentine's, which is on a Monday. But I imagine a lot of people will probably be celebrating or doing something over the weekend. So, every day this week, courtesy of ourselves, in the International Hotel at the airport. We have overnight stays for two people with welcome drinks, breakfast and a three-course dinner. If you like, you could have their fabulous Sunday lunch if you went on the Saturday into the Sunday or whatever the case may be. And there's a private cinema screening as well with all the sweetie treats because they've got a private cinema cinema up there also. So they're offering uh, this wonderful prize every day to us every day this week. And uh, also bear in mind that they have a brand new Sunday lunch each week. Uh, every Sunday in the Atlantic restaurant in the hotel. They're also doing afternoon teas and things like that for the month of February. So check them out, Cork International 
hotels. So we're asking people to share their most interesting, wacky, strange, romantic, unromantic, unusual, unexpected uh, story as to how you found love and everything to do with love for the week that's in it. Actually, can I just give you an example of some of the stories that we've had uh, on the program uh, down through the years when it comes to Valentine's. Fair play, Mark. Thanks for this. Hang on again. Can't stop laughing at Gemma. Please have her on after every date night she's on, says Sinead. There's an event in the Strand Bar. It's a date night to combat rural isolation. Okay, so are you optimistic, Gemma, that you might meet a farmer or a foreigner? I'm open to all possibilities. Nothing shocks me anymore. I'd have to buy a pair of willies, though. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even own a pair right there. If I get calls from fellas now who want to take you out for Valentine's night, what are we going to do? Take their number and I'll start out the rest myself after that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we tried it in the kitchen We tried it in the hall We tried it in the garden But you were no good at all We tried it in the dark You nearly broke your wrist I never forget the night we tried to do the twist <laughs> What about the other one uh, Roses are red, violets are blue How did that one go? I was born beautiful, what happened to you? <laughs> There's no catching you out then so this was a trip to Kinsale, was it? Very posh and romantic. We were dating back then. Lovely meal, few drinks, taxi home. Just discover that we were locked out. And we were locked out. This is just the start of the relationship, so we were fairly new. He gave me a hike up to the window. Right, so you're and on his shoulders, I suppose. Yeah. Shoving and you up, up to get up to the window, yeah. Now I'm all dressed in a mini skirt, tights, boots. Thinking I'm handsome. You sound handsome, yeah, okay. And next, your man passes the comment, look at the sparrow legs on her. Look at the sparrow okay. legs on your one. Look at the sparrow legs. Well, for all the laughing and the drinks I was taking on board, I only peed right down on top of them. <laughs> <laughs> they never told me that. <laughs> they never told me that. <laughs> this is true, no, God. I peed down on top of them. Do we have any <laughs> filters at all in this radio program, guys? <laughs> None, I suppose. No, okay, all filters off. He found love in the strangest places. So there's some of the stories from yesteryear. So we want you to share yours. We found love in a hopeless place is right. Well, maybe you did and you'll share the story. Text 086-8104-106 and ideally we'll get you on the air to share. And we got some overnights with all the bells and whistles courtesy of ourselves in the Cork International Airport Hotel. Meanwhile, you know you're talking about love and romance. One of the the most famous uh, romances and weddings, of course, happened on this here show. Neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. Just a friendly wave each morning helps to make a better day. Neighbors need to get to know each other. Next door is so. kind of neighbour in the whole wide earthly world is the neighbours who just leave you alone. 
you unless you need say a, that. Unless you need a cup of sugar or something, like back in the day. <laughs> that probably is a storyline in Neighbours, isn't it? Someone, someone pops were, around to Mrs. Mangles to get a cup of sugar. You were very depressed this morning on the news that Neighbours no more. Do you know what I was? And I, I first read it yesterday, you know, because, I mean, probably like most teenagers or people at uni or whatever it's a ritual you watch neighbors twice a day and if you were off sick from school you watch it you watch it at lunchtime and then you watch it again at uh, tea time as well i remember the <laughs> 80s rushing to watch it at half past one on the bbc or something well the maddest thing about it is because i've been looking at the the audience figures because they were saying all oh, scott and charlene's wedding that's jason donovan and kylie minogue that's one of the most watched um tv shows of all time in the uk and i actually found a list of the it's the most watched programs of 1990 in the uk beats Corey. we've well, got all beats sorts of yeah. horses Coronation Street, 19.2 million people. Fools and Horses at number three, 17 million. Neighbours on the 26th of February, 1990, attracted 21.16 million. At lunchtime. Bear well, that in mind. Is, well, they, they, there is a little asterisk there that says that is the lunchtime and tea time combined. But, but even so, I mean, look... At the bottom of the list there, at number 10, 15 million for the World Cup 1990, <laughs> England v. Ireland. So we've got 6 million more than England v. Ireland. <laughs> Discerning viewers. <laughs> so it beat the World Cup in 1990, neighbours. Yeah. So why is it being axed? Well, it's a case of... It, it's one of those things where I think the, the, the bulk of the production costs are actually picked up by Channel 5 in the UK, and I think it was the same when it was on the BBC. So the, basically, Channel 5 fund the programme. So if Channel 5 don't want to broadcast the program anymore that puts the whole thing in danger because the, it's not big enough in australia to maintain itself basically so if uh, if network 10 in australia can't find a broadcast partner as they put it that'll be so all is not lost if they find somebody else to come in and foot the bill yes all right okay. and, I, and i would i would assume it would have to be a uk broadcaster because i don't see where but is it anywhere still possible? else it would be, I, Probably, I mean uh, forget about that is it popular Still, well, it's still get, it still gets an, a million and a half a day or thereabouts on Channel 5. That was the figure I read this morning. So a million and a half a day is still pretty good. I mean, EastEnders only gets three three million or so at the moment. I mean, it's not doing great. So, we, um, all remember, so one. we always remember Kylie and Jason. But you're actually telling me that before Kylie and Jason's romance and, and marriage and everything... Russell Crowe was in it. Russell Crowe was in it, yeah. I think he gets asked about it all the time, even though he was in about three episodes in 1987. Um, and, and I've got a clip there for you. This, this is Russell Crowe's character. who He played a guy called Kenny back in 87. Uh, and he picked a fight with Henry. Do you remember Henry with a big mullet? Uh, played by Craig McLaughlin. Um, and he was the brother of Charlene. And Charlene got Craig McLaughlin, the singer. The, the singer, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he went on to the star of musicals and, uh, and, and things like that. Well, this, this is Russell Crowe having a fight with Kenny. Kenny, uh, it's a battle of the mullets, if ever I heard one. G'day. Kenny? Didn't expect to see you here today. Well, we've all got to earn a quid somehow, haven't we? Why isn't the law main business doing too well? I reckon you'd be able to answer that one. How should I know? Because you're the one that put him out of business. Bibi, tell me that this is your handwriting. Bibi. Stamp a big mouth, Brenda. So you admit it was you, huh? Yeah, it was me. You had it coming to you, pal. Listen, mate, when Paul found out you were trying to swindle mum, he was calling for the cops. I should have let him. <laughs> yeah. And this time you can be charged for libel. Getting a little sister to do your talk now, you Ramsey. Another crack like that, mate, and I'll flatten you. Yeah? You got lucky last time. This is not the place. Your luck just ran out. Fight and talk. <laughs> so it launched the career of Russell Crowe and on to do Gladiator. Yeah. We also forget that um, 
Guy Pearce starred in it, apparently. And Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie, yeah, Guy Pearce was... Mike Young, wasn't it, Guy Pearce's character? He was best friends <laughs> you, with you Scott. You know way <laughs> too much. You produced a radio programme in the UK for Jason Donovan. I did, I did. I actually got to work with Jason. And uh, and this was back in the day when... Uh, this was about six years ago. I don't know. <laughs> but I posted a Facebook... Um, you know, all the rage a few years ago was posting a Facebook status about what, what you're doing. Uh, and I posted this on the 23rd of August, 2015. It is actually insane that I'm studio producing Jason Donovan live all this week. It's Scott Robinson from Neighbours, for God's sake. The first single I ever bought as a kid was When You Come Back to Me on vinyl. <laughs> and the big mullet head on him. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't... But, but when, I, when I worked with him, he, uh, he'd, he'd lost the mullet, unfortunately. I think the mullet should come back. The mullet's a great hairdo, isn't it? If you have the hair for it, that is. <laughs> so Scott, Scott and Charlene's wedding, was that the biggest viewership of it all? I, I, I assume so. I mean, it says, it, well, apart from that weird one in 1990 that I found earlier, it does say here that it was, uh, more, it was more than 19 million people tuned in um, in the UK there. Because I often get uh, a bit confused because um, obviously in the UK... Um, Neighbours was king of the Aussie soaps but over here it's very much home and away is, 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 is the king I think um, but no I'm, I'm Neighbours through and through it run, yeah. it's run its course they think then yeah. maybe if they can't find a sponsor it's game up and this other clip mm. then is back up to uh, is this 1998 <laughs> forgive me because I, it's I watched it for a couple of years way back in the early days weirdly because of Kylie Minogue, <laughs> forgive me even for saying that. I'm sorry, <laughs> but anyway, I was mu- I was I was much younger. I would have been allowed to watch it. Yeah, I, hope, yeah. I hope to God. <laughs> but this is um, this is a. Well, I was going to say this is more up to date, but it's a clip from 1998. <laughs> But this is when I, I I did what I was obviously at school at this point, and this would be a fan. This would be for well, people my age, I suppose. This is when Doctor Carl Kennedy got uh, caught cheating with his assistant uh, <laughs> Sarah by by Susan, and Susan gave him an almighty whack. Our own son had to tell me his father was having an affair. Oh, no, Susan, How do you think that made me feel? I was so ashamed. I was completely humiliated. Please, will you listen to me? I love you. I Don't was... you dare! You must have so little respect for me if you could just lie and cheat and betray me like that. Of course. Oh, I trusted you. I believed everything you ever said to me. Oh, no, Susan. Don't you but th- that was a very serious oh, storyline, though. This absolutely, is, it was. This is, it was really touching on very socially yeah, pertinent yeah. topics. And it's, um, it's 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 one of those where you see the clip as well. She gives, she really gives him an almighty whack across the chops there. And uh, as, as he's, uh, I can understand to the reason why you talk about Home and Away being bigger because Alf, someone or other, isn't he one of the characters? Alf Stewart. There's, yeah, there's, there's street art to him around Cork. There is, yeah, just up um, by... Uh, oh, where is the it South now? The South Mall. Yeah, it is, yeah, just off the end of the South Mall before, yeah, you, yeah, before yeah. you go over to City Hall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so tell me, what was, what was Jason Donovan like to produce? Yeah, it was a bit of a pinch yourself moment, but it was good fun. Actually, one of my biggest regrets was, uh, do you remember I was actually in here, remember last year talking about this Friends event that I went to where the set was there, and I was there with Jason Donovan, and one of my biggest regrets was not getting a photograph of me. You dropped the ball. I didn't, didn't do it. No. You dropped the ball. Yeah. Okay, so if you're a betting man, do you think that's it? I mean, we must feel bad about it, but the Aussies must be very, very upset. Yeah, I mean, I haven't actually checked out and seen what the I mean I'm, I definitely be picked up by Aussie news and stuff but I haven't actually looked at that this morning but um, I can't see who would come I mean 
Is there any broadcast that would take? Would the BBC take it back? Would ITV have it? I, I can't see it happening myself. I mean, we all know Kylie Minogue's career was absolutely stratospheric. Mm. Would you say the same about Jason Donovan? Not, Not past the, same. the early 90s, yeah. I wouldn't say. Is he doing, doesn't he do a lot yeah. of um, theatrical productions now? Yeah, and yeah like he, he, I mean, he was Joseph, wasn't he? Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat like back yeah. in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. so I think he's still doing But she, she, she didn't put a foot wrong. No, no. And, and, and she's, the, the great thing about Kylie Minogue is that the ability to reinvent herself. So she, she was like Stock Aitken Waterman, that sort of pop music in the so, early 90s. Then she went to more grungy yeah. stuff, then dance, and, you know, great Changing the image all the way. Yeah. So, if, so if Jason and Kylie came back, that would save Neighbours. Yes, I'd, I'd watch that. <laughs> I'm standing here saying I'm a big Neighbours fan. I haven't watched it for about 15 years, but I still don't want to see it go. And if they came back, oh, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> All right, my man, thanks for popping in. No problem. The great Mark Willington. He's always dropping these kind of, uh, oh, I know this guy, I work with this guy, bombs. And you're kind of going, what? oh, really? Never said that before. Back after the break. <laughs> Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number, 0818-104-106. And you can text 0868104106. Let me catch up on some texts on uh, bouncers and door staff who um, uh, escort um, individuals, patrons uh, outside of the clubs and leave them on the street. Sometimes the worst aware for drink. And of course, that's not safe anymore. In some of the cases last week, of course, that had nothing to do with drink. It was somebody who had to take a phone call, couldn't get back in. All her friends were inside. So it's very interesting because John says, so after Ashling Murphy, they leave a woman disorientated on the street all on her own. Anybody who does that at a club or a pub should be sacked. Uh, I was a bouncer in the city 20 years ago. I'm female. I was in nightclubs, pubs, etc. Back then, a male used to come to work with me with a dog chain in his pocket. This man was 20 years older than me. He was also in the army as well. Never in all my years of door work have I seen anything like it. Can't come on the air as I'm working. Not quite sure what he was going to do if things kicked off with the dog chain. Um, Listen to show at work, I just wanted to share a story that happened to me on a night out in my local town in East Cork when I was 18, which was five years ago. I came out of a pub on a Saturday night and I went to the taxi rank across the road from the pub and asked to get a lift home. As they only live a two-minute drive away from the taxi rank, the man running the place told me to walk home because it wasn't worth getting a taxi. So I walked home because I didn't know what else to do. I remember walking home being terrified, had my keys in my hand. Looking back now, I realize anything could have happened to me. Nothing has changed in those five years, I see. I'm now afraid to walk down the road to my local shop as you just don't know what's going to happen. Thank you for that text, M. Sorry now, your man on the air, for is he for real? All of these attacks going on in Ireland, this isn't domestic violence we're talking about here. These are attacks happening in the streets. People need to understand the difference. Uh, just wanted to say, you don't need to go to a nightclub. You don't need to get drunk. Nightclubs are not a babysitting service. When you go out, you must be responsible for your persona and your own valuables. Do you know how much abuse the bouncers take every night? both man and woman, it's disgusting. If you respect people, they'll respect you. Uh, John says, if someone else, either male or female, pays at the door to get into a nightclub, they should be left back in again. If they ever forgot something inside um, the establishment, you've paid to go in there in the first place. Or if a drunk friend should be left in to collect their belongings, bouncers should have more cop on in this day and age. I know they have a job to do. Uh, as well, says John and Mill Street. It's typical from these cork bouncers trying to act the big men and impress women and stroke their own ego. If you worked in retail and someone felt weak over diabetes, for example, you wouldn't just brush them off outside the door and continue to work. The same should apply to bouncers. Uh, and one other one, no, no disrespect to the women 
that are at the end of these violent attacks. These are criminals that are doing this. Where are the parents of the 13-year-old that left him out at that time of the night? Well, I'm not going to say any more about that because that's under regard investigation regarding Evergreen Street. Uh, Many groups are constantly attacking men. They're hitting the wrong target. People need to change and all women's groups need to change how they address this topic. Their attitude towards men is definitely changing my opinion on how I can help and deal with women. So that's a selection of texts to 0868104106 and thank you for them. Meanwhile, back to the phone lines we go. Dermot, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How did are you, you Did you let your motorcycle license lapse? Yeah, a few years ago I went back and had to do the theory test um, in Penrose Wharf and passed the test, got 36 out of 40 questions correct and was congratulated by the guy that was running it and I asked him to know which ones did I get wrong to which he said, no, we cannot give you that information. Why do you say he couldn't give you the information? It, obviously, maybe the computers or whatever, that it just wasn't available. So I then contacted the Road Safety Authority. They said it was a company called Prometric, so I contacted them. And after an exhaustive search, they informed me that they couldn't give out the answers to the questions because then everybody would know the answers, to which I then said, it's a theory test. Surely that's a good thing. Why did you you want to know? I mean, you got 36 out of 40. What's the pass rate? uh, 35. Okay, why did you want to know? Well, I had answered 40 questions, to which five were incorrect, or four, on my case, four were incorrect. Yeah. So, potentially, if any of the 40 were incorrect, I don't know which ones I got ah. right. Because when I was doing the test, I presumed I had them all right. And then I get my four questions wrong. I ask for the correct answers, and they don't give it to me. Yet, they pass me, and off I go out on the road. So, so you could potentially theory, go out yeah. on the road creating uh, a situation because with the question you answered wrong, like, you know, giving yeah. way to an roundabout or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I, I presumed it was right. But they then don't, do not give you the information. So effectively, what they've been doing for the last number of years is they're passing people at, that get 35 right, but they have five, which could be any of the 40 questions wrong. Ah. And they're not giving them the correct information. That's right, because it... It's about safety at the end of the day. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. Gotcha. I mean, I, mean, I think you did. I've, I've tried these online. You know, you can do the test online, you know, dummy, tri- dummy tries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, fa- I keep failing it all the time. So for you to get 36, did you swat up on it first? Well, I had the, the CD and you do the, you, you know, you try it out. It's a few years ago now and you just try and, you know, you do your best and then you go in and you, you think you have all the information right. And you go in and you pass, and unfortunately, they don't. They do not give you the correct information, which is absolutely criminal, as far as I'm concerned. No, if you're failed, then go back and study. But if they're actually allowing you out on the road yeah, with I know. the wrong Listen, information, it's ludicrous. You make absolutely perfect sense. It would be congratulations. You have test. You have passed. You got thirty six out of forty. Oh, by the way, you got these four wrong. Here they are, just so you know. Yes, common sense. That would be the right way. To, common sense. But unfortunately, when I spoke to people, I, I picked up this again last week and I spoke to people in the Road Safety Authority, the RSA, and they said, oh, we'll be meeting in maybe six months and we'll, we'll, we'll put it through again and we'll see, can we do something? And I said, and in the meantime, 
you're going to send out however many hundreds or thousands of drivers out on the road with the incorrect Totally agree with you. And I'm a lay person. I can see your logic. I can't understand why they don't. Maybe they will change it. It would be like failing an NCT, right? But not being told yeah. what you failed on. Exactly. Do you know? And you have to go away there and work out then what you need to get repaired. And work it out yourself. Yeah. It's, it's just dreadful. I, I just can't understand this. In, the, in this day and age, when they're trying to promote road safety, and like, I'm a professional driver out there, I'm a taxi driver, and I see, we see the way the other people are driving, and it's just getting worse. And is worse it bad, Dermot? How, how bad is oh, it? it's dreadful. It's, it's just dreadful. And it's because some of these questions, as in the where do you position yourself on the road at a right turn, everyone's to the left, they all think they're driving articulated cars or something. And obviously, maybe when they did their theory test, they got that particular question wrong. And yeah, and they've right. done it wrong all their life. And, yeah. that's, and they've done it, yeah. And it's oh not new drivers. It's, it's anyone who applies for the theory test. So if they're being passed, they should be given the correct information. And tell me, where do you think the most common mistake, I mean, you're 40 years driving as a taxi driver, as you say, like, where would the biggest errors be? Would it be roundabouts or what? Um, traffic lights, I think. But you're there straightforward. Everyone's in a hurry. Oh, yeah. Everyone's well. in a hurry. Yeah, but that, I mean, somebody, cle- somebody, yeah, but somebody clearly knows if they break a light, they know that they're breaking a light. But you know the errors that people make that they don't realize they're wrong. Where would that be? Would that Position be wrong? on the road. What? Position on the road, turning right. Not going up to the line, up to the middle of the road. They're all staying on the left and blocking off traffic when they're taking a right turn. That's oh, probably the worst. Yeah, yeah. I see anyway. Yeah, failing but, to prepare, know. is it? Yeah, preparing to fail. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it? Like? No, it it's just it's it's just a pity. My my issue is with the NTA. No, I know, I know, I know. Give the correct information, and nobody has come back to me with a reason why. And if someone can tell me why, then I I look at it and go, hmm, I just cannot see any reason why you would let someone out in the road with the incorrect information. Okay, so would it, would it be okay if we banged off an email to the RSA just asking oh, that absolutely. question? Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. it, it needs to change. Like, and someone, I I, I, I'm just one person. I can't change it on my own. Yeah. But I, I, I'm just trying because why would you send someone out? I agree 100%. You're spot on. It's, it's common crazy, sense. Like. And tell me, are you back up on the motorbike now? Yeah, well, I might be a sunshine biker. So to, to the weather isn't there at the moment for it, but... Yeah, I've been biking all my life. It's just I left it laps and a few years ago I went, this was a couple of years ago, so I'm like seven or eight years. I did the very same thing, you know, and I'm just too much of a coward to go and sit it again because there's no way I'd pass it. But says you, if you studied first, you'd pass it, I suppose. Isn't that the case? Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. It's only just, you know, it's common. A lot of it is common sense, but you just need to be taught the difference. Let's see if they respond on what they say about it. Yours is a very, very good point and well made. Thank you, Dermot. Cheers, my man. Safe driving. No problem. Take care. All the best. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number. 0818-104-106. Betcha, and you can pick up the phone any day and give us a bell on that new phone number. I was uh, intrigued by Shane Broderick's chat with me this morning. He's a folklorist. He uh, uh, lectures with the Irish Pagan School online. He was telling us an awful lot of the old traditions. It was just amazing, the conversation we had. But got people thinking, I suppose, about traditions that we used to have that we no longer have anymore. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So this is back in the day when your auntie owned a pub. Was that a rural pub or where was it? Yeah, it was in Carrie Tool in County Cork. And would you be in and out of it? I would, yeah. I worked there. 
Did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are we going back a long time or what? Uh, we're going back now um, over, I suppose, thirty years. Okay, and the and yeah. the clientele would they have been day try day trade or night trade or what? Men, women? Uh, the, yeah, the well, the day trade would have been the men. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, you'd have the great characters. They're all gone now, but uh, we had some great characters. I'd say in, I'd say know? day trade in pub for people coming in for a couple of pints and a couple of whiskeys. That's certainly gone in the city and probably dying in the country I would think oh absolutely it's, it's not there anymore and, and it's a pity you know they come in and they'd, they'd have their few points and a game of cards and, and would you, you be know. intrigued by their stories oh I would yeah absolutely absolutely they were they were great you know it's such a pity that they're they're a dying breed now you know yeah give us some examples um, what kind of stories would they tell or old sayings they would have Um. Well, they, long ago, now they used to go to um, to Glen Bower, and um, they used to, I think it was on May. It was in May. They used to go to Glen Bower for I don't know, it was a day out or whatever. What's Glen Bower? It's a place, obviously. Somewhere it's a wood in Killa down down that way. All right. And they used to, I don't know, it was a picnics or what they used to have, or they it used to be a day out anyway. Yeah, yeah. And they they had the saying then, uh, Glen Bower May Sunday, bed May Monday. <laughs> <laughs> the next day was written well, the, off. The next day was written off. Anyway, whatever was happening. There was other ones then. Uh, itchy ears. What's that? Yeah, they used to say, um, "Right ear, mother; left ear, lover." Itchy, f- itchy foot. <laughs> itchy foot. You'd be walking on strange ground. <laughs> and if you dropped a glove, it meant a disappointment. Uh, crossed knives. Yeah, that was the si- a sign of an argument. Cross knives, what, on the kitchen table, is it? And the, yeah, you know, if the knives crossed now, even if you were doing washing up or whatever, and the knives were crossed around the table, oh, they say, oh, that's a sign of an argument. It was an old superstition. Yes, yes. <laughs> there was one and you know, that still exists yeah. today. What's the story about putting shoes up on a table or a chair? And is that still around? It's still around, isn't it? Well, I, it is still around, and I still, if if anybody put new shoes now on the table, I'd say take them off straight away. They said it was bad luck. I don't know why. I'm the same, but is it only new shoes? New shoes, yeah. What in the name of God, people are putting any kind of shoes up on the table? I have no idea. I know, but I suppose when you come in now, you you know new shoes in a box, and you might just you know, have a few things and you put them on the table. People would freak. But, ah, get them off the table. I, I, I say it straight away, take, take it off the table. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, the way things are stuck in you and you can't. That's right. It's just, you know, you know it's handed down then, generation to generation. They use, what else now? There used to be another few things. Uh, oh, yeah. If some <laughs> somebody did something now kind of out of the ordinary or whatever, they'd say, Oh, that bait Banneher and Banneher bait the devil. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'd say their stories were fantastic just to listen. Oh, they, they, they were. They were, no, in fairness. <laughs> I had to know the one. Um, the, my aunt's kitchen was, she had a small kitchen and uh, outside the kitchen there was the yard and uh, there was the, the gents' toilet and um, one evening she was inside making the dinner and uh, one of the the clients, the patrons in the yeah, pub. Yeah. He he went out to go to the loo, and um, the overflow was broken in the toilet. 
<laughs> and uh, he was standing there anyway and he was doing his business and the, the water kept flowing and the, the water, and he, of course, he had after a few jars and he had, oh, Jesus, stop me water. <laughs> he thought it was him. <laughs> he thought he was still going on. He had more than a few <laughs> jars, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So she'd be in the back cooking, making the dinner for the family, not for the, co- she didn't do food in the pub or anything, no? Uh, we, we did, we, well, we did uh, soup and sandwiches there for a few years. We did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was she a we tough did. woman? I mean, she ran a tight ship. She did. She did. She was. She was a great woman. She uh, was a great woman. And was there fairness. someone ran the pub before her? Did it go back generations? I wonder. It it is. Yeah, her husband's um, parents had the pub before her. It was one of the oldest pubs in in East Cork. What's it called? Conroy's. Is it gone? In this in Carrigtool, is it? Yeah, it's it's it was, it's still there now, but there's new owners, obviously. You know. Yeah, I wonder how far back changed. that pub went. It went back. Oh my God! It went. Uh, I could ask my cousin know about it, but it went back a long, long time. Long time. Yeah, so it was long. a very, very, yeah. Heard an awful lot of stories inside in that pub. Oh my God, absolutely. Absolutely, Listen. and yeah. Thanks so much for sharing those. You're very kind to pick up the phone and give us a shout. Not at all. Thanks, Not Mary. at all. I just love talking about them. Thanks and a so million, Neil. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Take care, okay, so. take care. Bye. Ah, yes, indeed. Um, it's uh, always great to, to share stories and not all of them are happy, I can tell you. Please, Neil, don't give up my details for obvious reasons um, to come. But I'm hoping that perhaps one of your listeners can help shed some light on my situation. Myself and my partner are together for nearly 10 years. He has revisited an old addiction that was never a problem in our relationship before. He's a gambler. I'm now at my wit's end and I don't know where to go for help or where to even start. In the last 12 to 18 months, this has spiraled completely out of control. We have four beautiful children together and I'm trying to save my family from completely falling apart. I always hear about drug addicts or I always hear about alcoholics, but I rarely, if ever, heard about a gambling addict. I've tried everything in my power to stop this. He works full time and I'm at home with the children. I haven't returned to work just yet. He is, uh, at this stage, our only source of income. I've tried the GP, who was of little or no help. He has self-excluded himself uh, in stores and online, but still manages to use online UK gambling accounts. When I say self-excluded himself from stores, that would be betting shops and online would be, you know, online betting, but still manages to use online UK gambling accounts. His wages are now being paid into my account and I've lost count on the number of times I've changed bank cards, changed passwords, but he still manages to get at the money. There are weeks he has left us with nothing. I'm mentally and emotionally exhausted and completely broken. He so desperately wants to stop, but has actually no control. All I want to do is to provide the best possible upbringing for my children. I'm too embarrassed to tell close friends and family what's really going on, although some have a small idea about what's actually happening. Whereas we've fallen into mortgage arrears. We owe nearly everyone we know money because I'm constantly having to ask for loans to get through a week. Surely someone in the area can give me some information on where to start or who to go to. I'm lost. I'm shattered from it all. He's my best friend and a lovable, kind and caring person who is stuck in this rut. And I feel I need to help him himself because it's what he so desperately wants. I hope you get to read this out. And that's from Katie. Um, I think I get the impression, you know, that maybe the last 12 to 18 months, 
he spiraled out of control and that wasn't helped of course by COVID and, and lockdown and all sorts of changes to people's routine and what have you. Uh, I also get the impression from your, your email that he does want to change and there are people who will help. With regards to your debt, um, I, I assume that you've gotten contact with the bank. So don't ignore that with regards to being back on your mortgage. Go and meet them. There's also an organization called MABS, Money Advice Bureau. They provide services to help you to try and kind of get a grip on the debt that you have. And they come up with a plan then. Of course, you know, some of it involves, if possible, debt forgiveness. And you can get debt forgiveness in some areas. But the rest of it has to do with putting a budget together to slowly but surely pare down on the debt. Not clear at all, but slowly but surely work through it and eventually hope to clear it all. Uh, but some other issues then that could make a, a positive change would be for your partner, Gamblers Anonymous, as in gamblersanonymous.ie. And they provide meetings. They have uh, people on the end of the phone that can talk to uh, your husband and start him on the road to recovery. So that's Gamblers Anonymous. And also within that website, within Gamblers Anonymous, there's also Gammonon, which deals with the families of, of gamblers. And that would be for the likes of your good self, that you could also get in touch with them and they can help you to help yourself and also to help your partner to rebuild your lives and rebuild the family again. Um, and all meetings and contacts um, for uh, Gamblers Anonymous and Gammonon are available online. And that could be, they, all of those areas could be a good way to start. But one thing that you did say is that uh, you, you say you've heard of addictions with regards to drugs and alcoholics, but you've rarely heard about a gambling addict. Well, believe me when I tell you, there are many. Um, and more so than ever now because of a lot of gambling advertising and the fact that people can gamble on their smartphone and that the marketing is very clever where you're given free bets to hook you in. Even people who have successfully fought a gambling addiction and have stopped still get targeted um, in spite of the fact that they may have unsubscribed. They're still getting offers and the challenge to them must be very, very difficult. And they're so... Uh, you know, strong, they manage a lot of the time to, um, you know, not be tempted back. But some people do get tempted back with marketing and advertising and free gambling bets. So it's it's a problem now and it's becoming more of a problem with a younger generation again. Younger people now more than ever gamble and they gamble on sport. So that's a problem. They tell me that there's a problem with, uh, with women in particular then when it comes to uh, bingo, uh, online bingo, online casino um, websites that you can go on to, which would be roulette and blackjack and things like that. So you're not alone. Uh, And maybe even my reading out of your email or your text might encourage other people to get in touch who may be able to give you some advice. I hope they do. Text 0868104106. I'll never give out private details or private information or indeed email neil at redfm.ie. But Katie, I hope that's a start for you. I hope that's a start in one way, shape or form. Right, um, back to the phone lines we go. Our brand new number is 0818104106 and we have some great prizes this week to give away, courtesy of ourselves and the Cork International Hotel. So every day this week, one overnight stay for two people with welcome drinks, breakfast, three-course dinner or indeed you might want to swap the dinner for their new fabulous Sunday lunch offering at the Atlantic Restaurant at the Cork International Airport Hotel. So that's regard across the week, all based on the best calls, emails uh, and texts. So let's get stuck in. Frank, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good, my man. Let, let's see if this warrants uh, a prize. Uh, what's, <laughs> the sto- what's the story? <laughs> well, the story is two good friends of mine. Um, I won't name them to save their blushes. To save the embarrassment. <laughs> but, uh, 
but yeah, but well known around the north side. And there about, I think it was two years ago, Christmas, they received a lovely uh, restaurant voucher. I think it was about, of, yeah, about 100 quid or thereabouts. All right. And himself being, oh, he, he's a committed uh, romantic and a beautiful couple. So he decided to treat his good wife to dinner out. I think it was close enough to Valentine's Day, maybe around the start of February or so. So if they get dolled up anyway, and they're, all, they're, they're boasting on Facebook about him bringing her out for a lovely meal and that. So off they go, and they have a beautiful meal, and so they decide to have a few extra drinks to bring it up to the value of the vote. Yeah, you got to spend it. You know, that. you know. Yeah. And then the, the wait, waitress came down, and he hands her the voucher. Oh, it is the wrong restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're there. You didn't say they're, anything when he went in at the start saying, I have a voucher. No, no, no nothing. Oh, God. No. Oh, God. Uh, and uh, so they're scraping the end of their purse and their bags to make up the few bob so that they can actually pay it. And as far Are they as they blaming remember, each other, were they? Um, more than likely, I'd say he probably got more than blame. I, I kind of think he did. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was even as bad as that when they were finished, they couldn't afford a taxi home. <laughs> and did they scrape it together, the bill for the hundred? They scraped it between them in the end. Like, you know, they got, I, I don't even know if there was more this short, but they got it anyway. They got out without being char- charged, like, you know. There's no way the restaurant would have said, ah, oh, that's such a beautiful romantic story. The dinner's on us, no? <laughs> we do it on that in the boardwalk. <laughs> but, um, oh, you're and, a wise guy, all right, in fairness to you, Frankie boy. <laughs> and, and and then I suppose just to top off, top off the whole thing, their lovely daughter put the whole ass up on Facebook the following day. I thought you were going to say to top it all off they got food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The, da- the daughter put it up on Facebook the following day and as they said, no, this, this is about two years ago and to this day I'd say the slagging is still going on. You know? I'd love to find that couple if they were if they were around, you know, because if nobody beats that story, is it you and someone else I'd send away overnight or would I send that poor misfortunate couple away overnight? <laughs> Well, I'd say what you do is ca- cancel the Tuesday prize and give us one each. <laughs> See if you can track him down, Frank. <laughs> oh, I have no problem tracking him down. <laughs> Would they go public on it? <laughs> uh, very doubtfully. Very, very doubtfully. The only upside to this is they then had another restaurant to spend the real €100 Euro voucher in at a later date. <laughs> I, I, exactly, yeah, I suppose that was. She got two meals for the price of one. Right, okay. <laughs> Hang in there. I don't mean to clip ahead in you, but I do have to because I have Megan standing by and Kieran, and we'll see how you get on. Kieran, good morning. Are you are you planning on are you planning on um, proposing? I am at some point throughout the year. Yeah. You no date, no. No, no. <laughs> so Not what's your what, what, all right? What's the story? You're are you in Limerick? Yeah. All right. So is she listening? I hope not. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so basically, um, we have three children and whatnot, so um, I plan to, when she wakes up one morning, I plan to have uh, one of the kids standing at the bedroom door for her to come out with a sign that says Will and um, a present of her favourite perfume. So he'll then walk her down the stairs to, to our daughter and she'll be standing there then with a sign saying you with a present of her favourite chocolate. 
And then our other son will be standing at the back door with a sign saying, you or so we will marry. And hopefully they'll walk out the back in and I'll be in the back with her favourite candles and shit. I love that down on one knee. I know you need to have a sign saying me. Well, I will. Sorry, that's <laughs> going to be between my legs as well. I can't hold the sign and the ring at the same time. <laughs> so this is all planned and everybody's on board with this, are they? Well, yeah. She doesn't know anything yet, so... Ah, that's romantic. Okay, so the first one is Will with perfume. The second one is yeah. you with chocolate, chocolate. I think. Mary yeah. is what present? What? Makeup, my favorite makeup. Makeup. And me between your legs is kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. And are you expecting um, a yes or a no or a sign from her? Well, Christ, if she says no, it's all up in the heat, isn't it? <laughs> but you'll have the ring and everything. I will, of course. All right, but no date yet? No. What's What's keeping you so long? I've too much on now this year and the start of it, so I'll wait out in the middle of the middle of the year, summertime. When I walk when I walk be wet and raining down the top of me. Yeah, maybe maybe a spring proposal. Perhaps. I think you're trying to build up the courage, you know? No, not really. You just have too much on. Too mother there's yeah. other important things to be done, is there? There is, yeah. <laughs> okay. Great story, a great proposal in the making. Let's see what happens. Hang in there. Megan, good morning. <laughs> Morning, how are you? All right, so there's a wacky bunch out there. What have you got for me? Um, my story is how we met. Oh, lovely, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose years ago, not, it wasn't too long ago, we'll say, but years ago, uh, the thing to do was drive around Patrick Street um, when I was kind of 17, 18. Um, Just go for a cruise, is it? Literally around in circles, like plonkers, but that's what everyone done. That's right. Um, and we used to drive around, and he was in the car with his, his friend was driving, he's in the passenger seat and he was parked up outside I think it's Wallace at the time it was The jewellers? No, 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 it was a clothes shop Okay, okay And Patrick Street and every time he passed he was beeping the horn Sure, we beeped back I was driving, my friend was next to me and I beeped back and eventually I pulled in and uh, his friend shouted across Oh, my friend wants to know can he have your number? <laughs> so I said, who, hers? My friend that was next to me and he goes no, no, our one. So I said, all right, so, so I shouted my number across Patrick Street to them. <laughs> and that, that was it. That's when they, the text was started then. Uh, but had you seen him at all before you shouted your number? Not really. <laughs> really? So you yeah, wouldn't have wanted to, really. did you not want to check him out first? Ah, no, Jesus, if it was just a friend, then it would ended up just a friend if I didn't fancy him. All right, so the texting started then. What happened next? Yeah, no, he was just be texting me and stuff, and we met up, um, I'd say it was kind of nearly, probably about two, two to three nights after we met up, um, he was driving, so he just collected me, and we just went driving around Patrick Street, and 12, 13 years later, three kids, dog house, but he's still alive, so that's all right. Are you joking me? <laughs> Go away. Yep. So he fell yeah. in love, married, three kids later, and the dog, yep. and happy out, all from... Shouting across in traffic. Did you did you guys drive um, like uh, souped up cars? You know. Well, no, I I didn't know what to say. No, I was very fortunate. My parents bought me my first car, but it was a Corsa. It wasn't souped up or anything by no means. It was he a, was he a boy racer? No. 
Um, he was, he had a, it was a golf GTI. Oh, a black for God's sake, GTI. they're he fast. He loved it. Yeah. He went away and he got a car loan and whatever. And then he met me and then we had a child and all that. So God <laughs> love him, he wasn't able to get any more good cars after that. What happened to <laughs> well, the GTI? Did he, have to, did he eventually just get rid of it? Yeah, he got rid of it. No, he did. He, he loves his cars. Like, so he got different nice cars after that, but oh, not. Oh, yeah. He loves sporty cars, but three kids don't fit in, in a sporty car. So. And did he ever tell you the story about Ask? Why didn't he shout for the number? Was he too shy? I don't know. I don't know. Was he too shy or did his friends just do it? I don't know. I never even asked him that. I don't know. But he clearly saw you, even though you hadn't seen him. Maybe so, yeah. And he was, maybe, that's what I'd say. He said to his friends, sure, ask her there, go on. <laughs> I think that is romantic, though, don't you? And he doesn't have a romantic bone in his body, God love him. He doesn't like. <laughs> he tried for a propo- for the proposal. All right, when he was asking me to marry him, he tried to be romantic, but I kind of ruined that. How? How'd you ruin <laughs> it? Uh, it was Christmas morning, and I was after buying him um, I was, an, an apple play. It was you could I don't you know get YouTube and all that anyway on the telly through it. And he had <laughs> I was up in a heap because he's you need to put a bomb under him. He's so laid back. I was up in the heat getting everything ready, shouting and roaring because we had to be out, out of the house early to go up to my mum's house. And he uh, he was in the sitting room. I thought he was playing with the new thing. And he was actually down on one knee with the song in the background. Uh, I don't know who, sings, who sang it now, but it, the song was Will You Marry Me? And I walked straight past him and I went upstairs banging and slamming trying to get the job started. What was he doing? He was down on one knee waiting for me to come into the room and then he was going to ask me to marry him. Why didn't you go into the room? I didn't. I walked past him because I was out with him because he was shaking so long to get ready. <laughs> yeah, so then I came downstairs and he said, you ever calm down? And he came into the kitchen and our daughter was there and he asked her, he was asking her to ask me, he was trying to know, get her involved. But she said no. So then eventually he just had to get down on money in the kitchen and ask me then in the end. <laughs> the poor Miss Ford. He was practicing yeah. inside in the front room. I'd say he was, yeah. Ah, that's so lovely, lovely, Megan. Could you not see the really <laughs> cute side of that? Oh, I did, yeah. So I was happy then when I got back, when I, I, I stopped being odd then. <laughs> what? To break into a big beaming smile and throw yourself into of his course. arms? Of course I did, because I loved the ring then as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So what would Valentine's be like? Would he make an effort? No. <laughs> <laughs> At none? No. No, he's not, he literally he's not romantic at all. I get a card now and he's, you know, if he get, he'd get a present or whatever... But, like, I'd be saying, would you not organise a babysitter? Like, surprise me, bring me out for dinner or whatever. He's like, well, where do you want to go, son? I'll book something. Like, that's... But the whole idea is you want him to surprise you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's a nice surprise. How are we going to light a bomb under this guy? Oh, you'd have to. He's so chill, so laid back. How would he feel, how would he feel listening to your description of him this morning? <laughs> Mary, I'd say, no, he don't care. He knows what I think of him. Too, well, too long with me now he knows uh, it but you wouldn't swap him though no not for diamonds so would an overnight then at the Cork International Hotel with welcome drinks breakfast three course dinner private cinema screening sweets and popcorn and wouldn't it be wasted on him no because I'd be there it wouldn't be wasted on me you see yeah but <laughs> would, you, would you maybe trade him in for the overnight for someone else maybe make the most of it uh, no, it's still not. If it's if it's a Valentine's competition, uh, I'd be after winning. I'd have to bring him. All right. Well, I'm going to give you the prize for today. 
thanks very much. On the basis that going forward, he makes a little bit more of an effort himself. Well, I'll tell him so he has to, yeah. So you give him, <laughs> you give him a lecture from me, all right? I will, no problem at all. <laughs> so where are you calling from, Megan? I'm at, well, I'm more, I'm living in Dublin Hill. I'm just parked up outside Dunn's Ball of Land. I was on, going on the way to collect my child. All right. Well, listen, we've got an overnight for you, and uh, would it be too much to ask his name? Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody that will hear me will know. Will know anyway. All right, okay. Well, make make sure you light a fire under him and he gets up and gets out and gets over to the Cork International Hotel with you for the overnight prize. Congratulations. Yes, and Thanks if nobody me, else wishes you happy Valentine's, I will, all right? Thanks very much, Neil. Cheers, Megan. <laughs> Take care. All the best. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. I do this couple of texts in a second. So that's the deal now. Every single day this week, overnight stays for two with welcome drinks, breakfast, three-course dinner, or their fabulous Sunday lunch, private cinema screening with all of the treats that you would take to a movie or a film, courtesy of ourselves in the Cork International Hotel. So we're looking for your most romantic or unromantic stories. It could be a proposal, it could be a first date, it could be a disaster, it could have been hopeless, whatever the case may be. Share your stories. Well done to Megan. And you can do so by text to uh, 86 8104 ideally coming on the air and sharing it with us. We'll have some more fun across the week. Okay, so hang in there for that one. Happy birthday to Jack O'Connor, who celebrates his fourth birthday today and uh, earlier on this morning was getting ready to go to school. I'm a little late with it, so we'll be, just let him know that we said hi and happy birthday to him. And I was talking about the return of Angel Delight, that dessert from way back in the day. Uh, Mary points out that Instant Whip, which I also refer to, was the poor man's Angel's Delight. Angel's Delight was for people who had a few more bob, maybe slightly more posh. Although if you were posh, I don't think you'd ever have had Angel's Delight. But it was a big dessert back in the day. It's back again. Instant Whip, though. I don't know where that one's gone. So anyway, keep a comment. Text 0868104106. And we'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.